Hey guys, this is HC Loke, and you're watching right now the WZWA Network. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi everybody, this is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And PWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge Podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here, the WZWA Network Podcast. It's great to be with you all here once again. This is my fifth interview this week. I am hustling. I am doing the best I can to get as many things in the can as possible. Uh, you know, and it's been such a great experience this past year doing this show, getting to learn about people's lives and their careers and what makes them tick. And here today, I have a very interesting guest, someone that I, I'm really excited to learn more about. Uh, he's a former Ring of Honor tag team champion in the Carnage crew. He's also known as the extreme official in ECW. He is the one and only HC Loke. How you going, my friend? Hey, man. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I'm good, bro. Uh, and uh, just great to be talking with you here today. Uh, uh, we've had several ECW guys on the show before, and they've always um, said so many nice things about you. So I, I knew that I, I had to reach out. And um, and uh, so, again, thank you for doing the show with me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, buddy. It's going to be cool, fun. Man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the first question, usually HC Loke, we ask everyone how you became a wrestling fan when you were young. Um, I remember the very first day, actually, living up here in upstate New York. It's very cold in the winter like it is right now. My uh, maybe nine or 10 years old. and My father's making me stack wood out back for the fire, right? Uh, every year. Um, and me, of course, being a young punk kid, making excuses to get away. Dad, I got to go in and use the bathroom. All right, go in. And of course, use the bathroom quick and then run to the TV and turn it on just to kill time, wait until dad yells for me. And then there's this guy, Adrian Adonis, oh, pretty man. adorable one, right? This is this is New York City Adrian Adonis. But he's, I thought he was a boxer because there's a ring, but he's hollering at the fans and he's really mad. I'm like, this guy is a jerk. What's going <laughs> on? I thought I stumbled onto some historic thing that a guy's losing his temper here on TV. I had no idea what it was or certainly not what a baby face and heel was or, or anything like that. And, and um, I was hooked. I'm like, this is, so that was destination every week to try to find, find whatever wrestling show it is. And of course being living where I live, that, that ended up being WWE, WWF at the time, you know, and that, that was everything for me. It became lifelong passion. Sure. Yeah, it's so funny, man. Everyone we, we have on the show, it's it's always just the first moment you saw it. And it's just so mind-blowing as a kid to yeah. see something like that on TV. And um, yeah, so uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, so I guess you're a wrestling fan watching WWF for many years. At some point, when's the point where you think to yourself, this is what I want to do? I probably, I've always been a drummer too. Right. So it's always been about show business in my life and want to do those things. Always like the idea of traveling and, and, and being on the road doing something like that. I probably just me being me, I can't tell you for sure, but I probably from about the first or second time I saw it, wanted to see if I could do it. Because anything I've ever enjoyed, I it's not enough for me to just enjoy yeah. it. I want to do it, you know. Um, but in those days, especially, I don't even I can't even tell. I think I came in around WrestleMania one time, maybe before that, when I knew that wrestling was a thing. 
And I mean, that wasn't even thought of somebody of my height. That wasn't even possible. Um, so, so that went on and on until um, just being so obsessed with it and wanting to learn as much as I could about it. And one of the wrestling magazines, uh, along the time I was getting ready to graduate high school, somewhere in there, I was going to move to L.A. There's a place called Musicians Institute. I was going to uh, take the drumming classes and be a big rock star. That was, that was my job security plan right there. But um, at some point, there was an ad in one of the one of the after mags, you know, for for Al Snow School. Oh, and wow. uh, so I, I called out there, got up the nerve, you know, dialed all but the last number, probably 10 times, you know, that whole bit, you know, got the nerve <laughs> to call. And uh, they sent me some information and that was very cool. But I again, I chickened out. That was in Lima, Ohio. You know, I never lived away from home at all. Um, and uh, I was just so sure that they wouldn't let me do it because of my height. Um, and just fast forward and that's why I say like I, it was meant to be you know if whatever you believe in you know in, in whatever fate or whatnot you believe in I knew it was I felt like it was meant to be um, because shortly thereafter after I decided I can't go out there and and they're not going to even let me do it they're going to laugh at me you know and uh, and I've never 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 been away from home not uh, my local news, which is 20 minutes away from my house, um, overcame uh, on the news one night in the local news, Cruncher's Gym opening up, pro wrestling training facility in Elmira, New York, 20 minutes from my house. And um, and I said, holy cow, this is my, so I drove down there and I ended up being their first student. But the real story behind that was, as I showed up there, called the guy, showed up there, and I waited outside in my truck for an hour before I dared go in same thing i'm like they're gonna laugh at me you know and i because i was i'm five foot eight which it, in all honesty uh, you know if if you watch royal rumble tonight you know i'm average height now yeah. you know I, i'm average size but it wasn't that way at the time you know um so i i thought ray mysterio wasn't even on american television yet, you know I, I mean he might have popped up and done something in ecw i don't think he had at this point but maybe he had but i didn't get ecw then you know that was that that's later in our story, you know, when I when I figured out how to watch that. Um, so I came up with a plan of that I'll go in and I'll talk to the guy. And when he tells me I can't do it because I'm too short, I'll ask him if I can get a gig just sweeping up around there or helping out somehow so I can be around it. So I can yeah. be involved somehow. I wasn't worried about getting a job a job as far as money as that goes at that time. I just wanted to be around it. Luckily I went in and independent wrestling well wrestling being what it is he didn't care he just cared if you had your money you know and and which i i did i had to pay him every week you know work and then pay pay payments every week but it uh but uh but um i ended up doing being feeling very very natural i was uh so uh so i got i learned quickly and um to the point where uh almost too quickly in that Again, independent wrestling being what it, what it is, not what it was. Everybody's trying to make a buck or save a buck or steal a buck or anything like that. So it wasn't long before, because I would learn so much from the trainer, I would do be doing well at the lessons. So the owner of the building would set, leave the trainer home next weekend and say, hey, you just come every other week. And he'd have me show the new guys what the guy showed me last week. And I hadn't <laughs> even had a match yet. Wow. Which is such, I don't know if we can curse on this thing. Yes. Which is such, such bullshit about how the rest, you know, I mean, that's, that, but that's wrestling, you know, and that's how it gets watered down and how there becomes, end up being people that 
that think they know everything and don't know anything. The one thing I had going for me was I was smart enough to know I don't know anything and I shouldn't be doing this, but I'll do whatever he asks me to do. And I've been lucky enough to learn from some great people along the way. That's how it started, though. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and uh, look, I'm Australian, so you can swear as much as you want. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fucking normal over here to swear, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, so excellent. Um, so you're, you're showing a lot of promise, obviously. Now you've, you've, you've been given the opportunity to train people, even though you even have, haven't even had a match yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I cannot stress how much that's bad. I don't, yeah. I, don't I, I mean, it's only recently that I've even told people that because it's kind of embarrassing, but that was 26 years ago. So it's like, I guess, the statute of limitations run out on that, but that's not how it's supposed to go. But, but I wasn't in charge, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, in my research, I, I read that um, your first actual singles match was against Steve Carino. Uh, but And I'd love to hear about that, but also I'd like to hear about what your first like official match ever was and, and who that was against, whether it was a battle royal or a tag match or something like that. There was a bunch of them. I, I, my first, my first, uh, uh, step first time in a ring in front of people was a battle royal and then I think I did probably four battle royals and I can remember doing um doing an eight-man tag in somewhere in Pennsylvania with some veteran guys you know just to get me in there and I did two six-man tags a month or two later and then I got a tag team match so that was pretty cool dwindling it down and I kind of <laughs> like that way um I don't see a lot of people getting broken that way. My guys, sometimes I do that. I train guys. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. We, you know, try to start them in a battle royal, but or or with their working with somebody that else from the class, so they don't feel a little comfortable. But I thought that was a good way to get broken in, just kind of ease me into it. So it was my first time in a battle royal was um, was to tell you how long this was drug out. Of course, there wasn't a ton of shows either at, at this time, but uh, that I, that we were that I was aware of that that I was allowed to even partake in due to the politics of it has to be our show. The guy that was, you know, from my wrestling school, that was January 15th, 1995 was the first time I was in a battle Royal, but it was all the way to August 8th, 1996 before I had my first one-on-one -on -one match, right. you know, but that was still, that was training five days, five to six days a week, doing whatever battle Royals I could doing whatever six fans I could do ring crew all the time, paying your dues, something that, you know, people could, learn from today you know do a little bit more of that um so so it was quite a stretch there you know but it was that was and a lot of that's a blur you know um some of that stuff i can remember little spots of it but it was just just being nervous and getting out there and saying okay i've got one or two things that i know how to do and um and that i and it's just shut up and listen shut up and listen you know what i mean and listen to the veterans and get me through that and then and then finally it, and as it worked out I, i've always had a little bit of luck on my side in the business a lot of examples of that and luckily how it just lined up whether anybody did this on purpose or not steve carino being my first singles match and of course he was i don't want to say nothing but we were both nothing then he'd been doing a little bit longer than me and he was skinny dark haired skinny as a rail wearing singlet guy nothing like the guy you would see later you know and uh we were super inexperienced but he was quite a quite a bit more experienced that year or two he had on me he had a lot of matches in that time and he helped me a great deal in that first match and um but that happened to be in my hometown so that i mean that's pretty cool right you get your first match right there in your hometown with the guy who he would end up being you know uh pop up at integral times in my career you know forever since so so it's kind of cool how that worked out him being the first one 
Yeah, absolutely. And we'll obviously definitely reconvene with uh, Steve at different points of this interview. Uh, and, you know, and I just wanted to say for those playing at home, January 15th, 1995 was my eighth birthday party. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> Not to make you feel too old, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I know you've been asked this one at many a times, uh, 31st of March, 1998, you work on a taping of Monday Night Raw against Luna Vachon, in which is yeah. known as the first intergender match that was ever on Monday Night Raw. Um, how was Luna to work with, and also how was Goldust to work with? Uh, and you know, how was the whole thing received by them and everyone backstage? Also, oh, and how the opportunity come about as well? Sorry, well, that that was just, uh, and you know, if, if there's a lesson here, that was just opportunity came about just due to my persistence. You know, I uh, um, and I'm not, and I've never been good at that. I couldn't, I couldn't get your phone number still now all these years later and not know you and feel real comfortable just calling you up and asking you for a favor to book me or blah, 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 or stuff like that. So imagine back then when I'm just a kid, three years in the business or something. And, um, you know, I got to call Howard Finkel. I got to hold his number. And, you know, again, the whole get up the nerve to call, get up the nerve to call. Okay. I'm just going to go in my room and I'm going to call, you know, and then finally you do. And I called him and he asked for a tape and a, uh, or I guess not a tape in those days maybe a tape, but it's barely a picture and a resume. Um, so uh, I sent him that stuff. I didn't have anything. It was a handwritten resume type of stuff like that. But um, but I'd call him every week, you know, and he was very nice to me. And yep, anytime we're in your area, you know, just keep checking in. I don't think they do it that way now. I think there's a whole online process you have to go through. But um, I can remember just getting home one day and checking my answer machine. And it was from him. And I have that tape somewhere. I saved it of uh, him leaving a message saying, I think we can put you to work on whatever day it was. It was a Tuesday taping the following Raw. It was, I know it was uh, two days after WrestleMania 14. So it was right. the second Raw for Stone Cold won his belt. But, um, but uh, he said, and he finished the conversation with, uh, with a thank you for your persistence. Cause you know, again, I'm a short dude that he's never heard of, you know? And uh, so uh, just trying to get my foot in the door somehow you know some of the stuff you're making it up as you go along you can ask some veterans and i tried but you know you're new you don't even know who to ask sometimes you just gotta try some stuff you know and be a sponge um anyway um so i uh so i show up there that day nervous drove there by myself i, I didn't know obviously anybody there um until i i met tony Gurria. he uh, he let me in told me where to put my bag down mark henry had just started with the nation of domination. He was the one guy that came over to me and shook my hand. I thought, holy cow, that's great. And I didn't know, I'm sure you know all this stuff. It's kind of customary. You introduce yourself to all the boys, say hello to all the boys. But also I'm in that position of very self-conscious because of my size, because I don't look like these guys. And because I'm brand new, it's my first time here. Do I go up to these superstars, like stars, right? You know, yeah. and um, biggest names in the business and interrupt their lunch at catering and shake their hand or I just sit down in the corner and shut up. So I sat down in the corner and shut up. And uh, if anybody came near me, I'd stand up. How are you, sir? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's the best you can do. And I happened to find a table in the corner that had some other, the enhancement guys, the job guys on it. One of them was a guy named Frank Stiletto, who I'd seen on these indie shows where I started. USWF, it was called. United States Wrestling Federation, where I started. And I'd seen him there a couple of times. And I so I kind of, sort of knew him. And um, so I so I sit with a familiar face and 
and Dan Severn came over and sat with us. So I at least got to be comfortable as far as that goes. But it, as it turned out, I, it, I, I wasn't scheduled to work that night at all, but they have you dress and um, you get paid either way and go ahead and watch the show. And the show had already started and Tony Green, Greer came up to me and I could see he was smiling, kind of chuckling when he came up to me. And he said, you're going to work with Luna because I'm small. Who else is going to be the first one to work with a woman on TV, right? Um, I said, okay. And um, it was very, you know, gold dust will get you before the bell, blah, 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 blah. It finished you with a big clothesline and, um, and she'll do her thing. Okay, great. I think they said a couple things to me in Gorilla before we went out, but I was so shy and so, so shy. I could have played that probably better, but it's always better to be humble than to be too outgoing and act like you own the place and yeah. the rest of this, you know what I mean? So I just sat at Gorilla and I didn't say anything and they came over and told me something they like to do. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Do the best I can. I went out there and it went very well. Um, she was supposed to splash me. I don't know if you ever saw the tape. Yeah, I watched it earlier tonight, actually. <laughs> she was uh, supposed to splash me off the top and it comes down with a headbutt in my nuts. And uh, uh, Jim Ross like, dangerously low, he said. And it ended up being 100 times better. But it's yeah. just, I remember, that's the one thing she told me. Take the monkey flip and end up in the middle. And I did that and I knew I wasn't quite to the middle. I was a little closer to her. And that's, I mean, I wasn't second guessing her, but I was like, well, that's good enough. I'm not quite to the middle, but she didn't even make it to me there. Yeah. So, but it worked out great because of the headbutt, headbutt, you know, and um, we went to the back. Everybody was pleased. And I watched the show, got my money and went home. And I never um, did anything on television for him again because there's an old time job guy from the 80s named AJ Petruzzi. So if you watch old, old stuff, he was on every week, you know, uh, doing jobs and he'd do the tours with him and stuff like too. He's kind of like an Iron Mike Sharpus, but not yeah. quite that famous type of guy. And he called that aired the next week. And I looked at my parents still and um, he called my parents' house right after Raw went off the air, just yelling at him. Why would you do? He was an old school guy. You know, why would you do that? You should have pretended you were sick. You should have told them no. You know, and next they'll, they'll use you, but they're going to make you look like junk. Next time you call them, he could, they call you, don't call them back. Or you tell them you're unavailable or something like that. So I did that a couple of times because this is the one veteran that, you know, is telling, you know, giving me some advice, you know, like, or one of the veterans, but he's, he was adamant. He'd been there and I hadn't. So I did that in hindsight later. That's the worst yeah. advice ever. I would, I would never tell anybody that, you know, I understand from an old school mentality, which I have that I want it to look like a contest and I want it to, to, um, to look real and look good and all those things. But Luna Vachon is a tough, badass woman. Uh, God bless, God rest her soul. And on top of that, I was nobody. So if she can't beat me, who can she be? You know, yeah. and so big deal, you know, yeah, they'll have me back, whatever. I certainly, I show up in a purple singlet using my real name. It's not like I was hurting myself. They could have mm. done anything with me if they wanted to come. That was, that was a mistake. I should have, should have done it more. I didn't hurt, end up hurting anything in the long run, but but that was something like that. That was poor advice. I, I I would never give that to one of my students now. Ever. I agree. Yeah. And you look, yeah, you were given an opportunity and you did yeah. very well with it. And that's why they called you again. So yeah. Uh, yeah. no matter what the opportunity is, even if you're losing to a, a woman in, in an intergender thing is certainly wasn't a common thing back then. Man, no. Like opportunity is an opportunity. Yeah. Especially fast forward to now, no one would blink their eye at that. No. You know, it really, you know, and, and at the time it was I I think probably throughout the years, maybe somebody have made, you know, before this generation came along, maybe somebody joked about that a little bit. 
I always thought it was quite an honor. You know, that was, I had Jim Ross, the most legendary guy in the history of doing it, saying this is the first time in history something like this is going down. Yeah. I get to say that. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, so that's one of those little, like, marks on my, but not just on my belt type of thing. But I get to say, well, now that type of thing is fairly popular in intergender match. And I was the first guy to ever do it. So that was for, at least on a national scale. So that's, that's pretty cool. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, losing 20 seconds or not, I don't care. I got the yeah, man. One. Cool. How many yeah, people can know? say that they got to be on primetime TV? No one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, well, I was lucky that I got to do that you know, be visible in the wrestling business a lot later, but that was a first in the business. And I was a kid and I was lucky to be there. So, yeah. Uh, 1999, uh, you do a training camp with Dory Funk Jr. Uh, I want to know what you learned most about, uh, what, uh, you know, learning from Dory. Um, Cause obviously massive legend in the business and you know, that would probably be just something that would fast track you to being even better than you were uh, initially. Absolutely. I was the, we did a friend of mine and I went and um, I was, we were there with Amy Dumas, who was Lita. Um, that was his, he, he was doing camps, as you might remember, uh, for, he'd do week long camps for WWE, WWF at the time, you know, like, and that's how, like, they'd bring in uh, Edge and those guys for a week and just work with Coach Funk, you know, bam, 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 and, and Todd Pritchard and, He'd tell them if they're ready or not and send them somewhere to work and blah, blah, blah. So that was a, that was kind of, for the indie guys coming up, that was kind of your, boy, if you can get in one of them Dory camps, you're, you're doing something well because uh, those were invitation only. Then we found out he was doing one in Florida, and it wasn't re- it wasn't affiliated with WWE, really. I mean, it was in, in that, you know, he's still Dory Funk, and if he makes a phone call, they're going to pick up the phone, and he, and he did, you know. Um, for, for some of us. Um, but, um, but, uh, it was again, like I mailed a mail of a tape to, you know, make sure he wasn't wasting his time, whatever. And his wife, Marty handles the business and stuff like that. You probably heard those stories. And, uh, they invited me down and, and, uh, we trained for a week there and it was a great, great experience. Just, I, I, we had weight session every day. I think we trained twice a day, um, like in the ring, as far as doing his drills and having practice matches. And then at the end of the week, you do a show, and that went really well. I think I, did I wrestle Lita? No, I wrestled her at a practice match during the thing. I guess I, 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 uh, man, I was, I wrestled somebody else at the show. And then I was in Amy's corner, Lita's corner. And it was cool because I was more experienced to her. So I'm like hollering out, you know, grab his leg or whatever. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. she was awesome. You know, we all became really good friends there. And at the end of the show, um, everybody left, but myself, my friend Dave DeJohn, who's worked as Danger, that we, we kind of broke in together. He's a big dude, 6'4". And Amy, Lita, we all waited and wanted to have um, a meeting with Dory personally to let us know where we're at, what we're doing. So he loved my friend Dave because he was big. And um, he put in a word with him, I think, and called WWE for him uh, uh, a couple times and got him, got him some dark matches and stuff like that. Amy, kind of the same thing. He actually, and I don't, you know, I don't mean to say this to, to in a disparaging way because she's made more money than you, me, and 10 other guys just like us put together in the wrestling business. So it's, so God bless her. And she deserves every penny. But um, at the time, I can remember her being upset because um, he said, you got to need a lot of work on your in-ring stuff, you know, but 
you have a very unique look and you understand the business and you get it. And uh, they did some photo shoots with her and it was on their behalf, on her behalf, they called WWE and got that ball rolling with her. And as I sat with Dory, he said to me, um, he's, I can remember almost, you know, and it sounds like I'm putting myself over, but it's one of those things where you can remember. I've got a couple stories like this and I'm sure you'll ask the other one that pops into my head, but where I can remember almost exactly what he said, which was, um, uh, he says, I think your work is great. You're a great carpenter, which he taught me to mean is a guy that can build a match. And uh, he says, I think you can draw money for any company in the world. And I'd like to help. ECW is, I, is, I think, is a good fit for you. And he called right. Tommy Dreamer, you know, and I'd already been there. I'd been to, I'd been hanging around ECW for like a month before I went to that camp. I'd, uh, I'd uh, actually, a guy named, depending on if you know a lot of your, uh, ECW trivia. There's a kid I was trained to wrestle named Eric Tuttle, who got a character in ECW called the Towel Boy, where he'd ride, <laughs> wipe down the ropes in between and somebody kick his ass every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but but he had ended up just online friends with some of the guys that ran the merch table, the old RF video crew. And uh and so he kind of knew that, you know, already. And uh he's like, Yeah, well, my trainer would like to come in and they kind of let me come in and um, said, yeah, you can come in and do tryouts Do It's not tryouts, open workouts in the beginning. You help with the ring. You get to work out with the guys. You usually get your ass kicked and you see if you come back. Well, I came back, you know, and it was, boy, and my first time doing that, I got in the ring and it was everybody against me. I mean, this was pre-Dory Funk camp. It was, it was, I mean, not the main right. event guys, but everybody on the outside and they could tag and I couldn't. And, um, you just keep going, you know what I mean? And uh, thought I was going to die legitimately. Like, I'm like, this is, if this is how I go out, this is how I go out, you know? And, uh, but, um, you know, not much came with that other than, yeah, you know, pretty good. Keep coming back. You know, if you, you're welcome to show up sometimes and who knows, maybe we'll need a body here or there. And um, then I went to the fun camp and he called Tommy Dreamer. And when I showed up the next week, Dreamer was already, okay, I got to see a match with you and this guy. I got to have a match, match before yeah. the result. I said, okay. And um, same thing. He says, hey, you bump good. You sell good. I mean, I don't can't offer you a job right now, but if you want to show up, you're always welcome. And again, who knows when we need a body that can do something, you know? And so that's really how that started. Your question was about Dory Funk, but he was, he was, um, I had already started coming around ECW, but he really got me to that next level. As far as, I think you asked I blew right over your main question, which is what I learned most there. Believe it or not, this shocks people because he's not known for promos. But we did a promo class every day. And um, there's some stuff that I got my promos. My work, too, I'm sure. But my promos grew 100% that week. Because we do, excuse me, a couple of them every day into a camera. And we review on them. And I, I remember the first one I did, or maybe somebody else did it. You kind of talked about, you know, talking about what a piece of shit the guy you're going to wrestle is, you know, and not those words, but that type of thing. He's like, you don't want to do that. He says, you don't want to, even if you're a heel, you want to be like, I know you're a big, bad motherfucker, but tonight you ain't got a chance against me. You know, whatever, you know, something articulate it better than that. But, you know, you don't want to, nobody's going to buy a ticket to the guy you're telling the audience isn't worth your time. Right. So if it's not. Yeah, I'm not even worried about beating you. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so freaking great. I'm not worried about you. And if I'm watching that on television and all I know about the show coming up, it's this guy who's obviously a prick, who he's supposed to be because he's a heel, but he's saying that, ah, I ain't even sweating this guy. Well, then I'm not sure it's necessarily worth 
me buying a ticket to go see yeah. this guy that obviously can't win, you know? So, so that was a huge lesson. I remember that ever since. And I, and I, and I quote that often when I'm, te- when I'm, when I'm teaching. Absolutely. It's like, well, if, if you beat that guy, then it's not that impressive, but then if you lose to him, then you look even worse because you just right. lost what like you said was actually. Exactly. A good shit, yeah, so. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, being a part of, um, you know, Dory's giving you this opportunity, you're showing up every week. You're eventually, I guess you're, you, would you consider yourself someone that was a part of the ECW ring crew? I was. Yeah. At first it was, um, well, I'll tell you how that went. I was, I can't, I, I showed up however long it was. I, I will say a month maybe before I went to Dory's camp. I'm not sure it was that long, but, and we were doing three to four shots a week then. So, you know, it was, you're on the road quite a bit. And um, I, uh, and then I came back and then it was kind of like my stock had gone up just a little bit. I was still, don't get me wrong. I was still absolutely nothing. I was nobody other expendable, you know, but it was like, yeah, if you want to come around, come around type of thing. But they at least, were aware, a little bit more aware of me, you know, as, as far as like your Tommy Dreamers and stuff like that. He knew my name now, stuff like that, you know, so that's progress. And I become very good friends with Amy, Lita, and and she was getting her break there. She was, she was figured in. She was not like necessarily the biggest star ever to come out of ECW, but at the, you know, as far as an ECW star, but she had been, been friends with everybody and she would be like, and she would do little things like, hey, you didn't say hello to Francine last night you're going to get heat. You better go say hi to her. I said, Amy, have you seen this girl? I wouldn't dare talk to her in real life. She's so beautiful. Well, yeah. Let her be a veteran in the goddamn locker room that I got to be scared of, but I got over that. And, um, and uh, anyway, um, uh, so what ended up happening was I, they said, you can show up when you want to. And I remember exactly it was two months. So if you imagine that eight weeks of three or four shows a week, all over the country, you know, it, and I show up, take my own car, I, and to the point where the ring crew had become uh, Tony DeVito, who ended up being my obviously my Ring of Honor tag team partner, who I'd known from the Indies. He was on ring crew at the time too, and Mike Keener and Angel, uh, who was Angel of the Baldies, and a couple other guys. But we were all at this point we're very close. Tom Marquez was ring crew chief. We're all very close. I just didn't physically work there, but they'd already given me responsibilities. Like I know I do this every day. I'm the guy that grabs the ropes or whatever, you know. So I wasn't really there, but I was kind of there. Uh, we wrestled in um, uh, Wilkes-Barre, PA. Um, I, I'm sorry. No, we wrestled in uh, uh, someplace. It was a three-day loop. I can't remember the first night, but we, uh, we got a hotel in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, and my wife at the time called me and told me she was pregnant. And I said, it was my, with my son who just walked out, and he'll be 21 this year. So wow. talk about time flying. But um, uh, and, uh, she said, uh, I said, okay. And I said, I either got to get a job or I got to go home. You know, that's, uh, that's, I don't, this is what I want, but you know, God, I, I already had two little girls at home. Um, but we were managing, wow. you know, and, uh, but now I'm going to have a pregnant wife and, um, this is all costing me money, not making me money. And, you know, I do carpentry for two or three days a week when I'm home, but I got to get a job or I got to go home. You know, there's a responsibility factor here. Yeah. So I'd mentioned that to Angel and DeVito and those guys. And I'm sure it was Angel who relayed that to Bill Alfonso the next day when we were in Wilkes-Barre. And um, uh, Fonzie came up to me. We'd done, we'd shut up the ring. We'd done workouts. He said, hey, go find Angel, DeVito, 
Chris Chetty, Roadkill, Danny Doring, maybe somebody else, Little Guido, I think, um, guys like that. Go tell all those guys I want to see them. Yes, sir. So I did. I found I said, uh, Fonzie'd like to see you guys. Fonzie'd like to see you. Blah, blah, blah. And I went over, walked over to the last guy. They were sitting in a circle with one empty chair. And this is my other story, by the way, of my remember word for word. That almost one of those things you can't really believe happened. And he says, Love, Daddy, take a seat. I said, Okay. He says, This meeting's about you. He pointed right to me. And I shit my pants. He says, um, He says, uh, No one's ever asked you to be here or told you had to be. You're not getting paid. You work your ass off in the ring whenever you get a chance. And even more so, you bust your ass. Uh, before doors open and backstage to whatever's asked of you to uh, to show how bad you want it, to pay your dues. And I want you to know that over the course of the last two months, everybody in this circle at one time or another has come to me and asked me if I would help get you hired here. So, you know, I'm hearing the hum in my ears, like, holy shit, something's about to happen. He says, I want to let you know um, uh, that starting next week, you're on the payroll and you're with us full time. And everybody got up and shake, shook my hand. I'm like, wow. my graduation shit, you know? Like, holy shit, you know, and I was, I was so happy and so excited. I mean, you're not making tons of money. And of course, everybody knows the stories about the checks later on and all those things, but you're part of something now, right? And that's the big three. And I worked there. And then of course we would go on from there where then I got a spot and then I got a character and then I, you know, and so you keep growing, but now I'm in, you know? So that was a great, great, great day, great memory, you know? And it started one of the best times of my life. That's amazing. I, I love that they had to set something up. They couldn't just have someone come up to you and say, hey, man, yeah, we're going to give you a job. They had to set something right. up. We're all sitting around. And then you you start to shoot yourself a little bit. And then all of a sudden, it's this amazing, uh, kind right. moment. That's really cool, man. Yeah. So, I mean, and, I mean, that means so much because they didn't have to do it that way and like, yeah. make a big deal out of it. You know what I mean? And of course, there's a little bit of that. I'm sure there was a little bit of a rib involved there, too. Like, we're going to make this kid think he's in, tr think he's in trouble. Yeah, well, really, yeah. we're doing nice for him, you know. But great. I've done that stuff like that a hundred times for people. For people. You know, that's, that, was great. that was a great day. Awesome, man. Um, so before we start talking about uh, you finally getting um, some dark matches and, 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 and getting on television, I wanted to ask you if you trained at the House of Hardcore. I didn't. I didn't train there as far as one of their students. Okay. I, that is, however, where we parked the ring truck. So okay. training informally as far as like just us as the boys, we, uh, you know, the guys on the ring crew, we'd go there and we'd work out. Then there'd been a couple of occasions where some of the guys on the uh, some of the guys in ECW would want to um, uh, just go there and try stuff, work stuff out, and I right. I was a good tackling dummy. But as far as training under Taz and Bubba and Perry, I was not in those classes. No. Okay, I'm I'm still uh, trying to search for someone that was actually a part of it. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll just yeah. have to get Chris Chetty on the show. Uh, well, Danny Doring, I'm sure would love to talk to you, and he's got a million stories about that. Yeah. Yeah. So. He's very hard to uh, to locate. I, I I'm still searching for him, but um, I'm sure it's. Uh, Daniel Morrison on Facebook, buddy. Is he, I, I see him on there every day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I'm not friends with him on Facebook, so I don't think he got my message. But I'll I'll figure it out at some point. Um, there you go. I'll Maybe promise. I'll write him for you if you want. That'd be great, anyway. bro. Um. Yeah. So, okay, how do you first find out about this idea of you becoming the extreme official HC look? Hundred percent on the uh, you know last minute thing, the right TV up to the point when TV is going to go on type of thing, and uh, and uh, we're in 
Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, Steve Carino, there's that name again, is getting <laughs> ready to feud with Dusty Rose. And uh, so they uh, – oh, I actually, let me back up a little bit. We were on TV the week before in Florida somewhere, and I'd been doing dark matches now. And Dreamer is starting to be a little bit impressed with me. Obviously, they're seeing how hard I'm working on ring crew, and I bust my ass. You know, there, I'm there's uh, I don't want to get it off on a tangent, but I'll tell you about that how that was. But um, but uh, he's wanting to give me something. You know, I've been working the house shows, and now we got to TV, and I cannot remember for the life of me whenever I tell this story who was standing next to me. But he said, "Hey, you're working with so and so tonight," and he started to walk away. And of course, we're at TV, so I didn't. I'm not going to work on TV unless I'm just doing a job, you know, and uh, he turns around and he goes, you, and his turns head like this, like he's thinking, because he wants to give me a payday because you don't get paid unless you work, by the way. That's a, uh, so like, that's, that's why they ring crew is like, is a favor for these guys. Cause that's a payday and, you know, and they pay for your room, you know, so, but you get paid twice if you wrestle, you know, um, uh, you get paid three times if you sell t-shirts too, which I did. And I'll tell that story next, but anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, he uh, turned to me and goes, you, you want a ref? Whatever you want me to do, sure, sir, sure. Because have you ever done it? I said, nope. He says, he says, but you, I said, but, you know, I've had a lot of matches. So, you know, I, I think I, I know where I would want a referee to be in a match. He says, just do, just do your best, you know, talk to Keener. Um, Mike Keener, he's a great referee, great friend, and uh, get some tips. I said, okay, borrow a shirt. So I did that. And I refereed and I can't remember what, if how many matches I did that night, but it was it was that well we don't have a match for you, but if you do this you can at least get paid again, you know. So I got double pay for that day. So, um, so the ne- next week we went to shoot TV, and uh, they're getting ready to do something. With Steve Carino and uh, Dreamer came up to me and said, "Hey, I want you to go out uh, for Carino's thing, but wear your ref gear." I said okay, and. Uh, he says, um, he's going to run down the town and everything. I want you to grab the mic and say <laughs> that you're from this town, from, from Milwaukee, and run him down and blah, 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 blah. And he's going to hit you with the cowbell and you get covered. He says, great, yes, sir. And uh, he says, and then after that, maybe we'll work that into, we started talking about how different ideas to get from there to me being a full-time wrestler. And I, I can remember talking, speaking to Danny Doring to him that night. He's like, man, that's so great. Things are starting to happen for you. And I can remember some people kind of congratulate me like, this means something. This means they're getting ready to start doing something. You know what I mean? And um, so I went out there. You know, I'd gone over in my head what I might want to say a couple times. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, I asked Carino. He had some good advice on that or some ideas of what to say. Um, and uh, I went out there and I – grabbed the mic from him and I my first line was excuse me Mr. Carino but I just happened to be from Milwaukee and the P place lost their shit right <laughs> and I got the goosebumps and and then I'm into it so my promo went really really good and that you know and um and uh said what I had to say and he takes the cowbell by the rope and swings it over his head and just hits me with the bell right here I already got my gimmick in my hand I go down and do my deal and I can already see it go with my with my uh, heartbeat out on the mat. So the best thing about that is if you ever uh, watch that on the network, subconsciously, I know that I'm on ring crew, which means I'm the asshole that's got to clean this pants, right? <laughs> so without even thinking about it, just instinct, I'd go, and you could see me going, 
trying to like for a second trying to wipe it up you know <laughs> you know because but um so anyway it was such a weird night because from there i had to they took me to the back and i was busted bad and uh had to take an ambulance to the hospital um they uh gave me a cell phone to call when i was done nobody picked up the cell phone I had to take a cab back to the ring back to the arena still in the bloody referee shirt yeah 27 staples in my in my head Shit. um and uh and of course my good friends uh because this is the wrestling business this is paying your dues now still the youngest guy newest guy there they left the ring up till i got back so i could tear it down you know and uh and i love that shit people uh, not people not in our business think that that's oh those assholes i'm like nope that's the way it's done and i did what i was supposed to do and i earned it you know what i mean so you earn you have to earn your stripes you know uh it's a whole nother tangent but not everybody has to do that these days some guys do but not everybody does and you can tell the ones that don't you know it's a yeah you have to deserve the things you get in in our world um but at any rate uh i came back and i walked by uh paul Heyman was sitting there and he's going luke luke you got it my friend i've had to tell a lot of people they don't have it but you got it holy shit and i'm like that was first of several times when i thought that's it plane rides flying jet flying i'm gonna be the next level but you know, but at any rate, that I fell for that one a couple, three times. But he was very complimentary. And I'd have, whenever I'd have a match and I knew it went really well, he would, oh my God, you're so, you know, great job. You know, you've seen all the videos of him and how he is. And then yeah. just, you know, it makes you feel like a million bucks, you know. But um, so, um, so that was, that, that's how that started. And now, now you almost got to stick with that, right? I, the plan was never for me to go there. I've gotten questions throughout the years of what was it like going from being a referee to a wrestler? Uh, and I was always, was a little, <laughs> was never a referee. That was a character yeah. that, you know, that was, that was my wrestling gimmick. But, but, you know, at any rate, that's how that started. And then you can't just, you know, next week show up and, you know, cut off t-shirt and shorts and be a wrestler, you know, you gotta, so, so we went on from there and, and I got to do quite a few things there. Uh, wrestled, Dusty Rhodes requested that I then re- referee the match with him and Carino on paper. Of course, yeah, because it makes sense, yeah. So, yeah, so, which was very cool, you know, so that's, I got to work with Dusty later and Ring of Honor, so it was cool to have that brush up against him, especially at his request. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, so I wanted to bring it to the 16th of October, 1999 at the Palladium in Worcester, Mass. You and Tom Marquez, you work with Big Sal and Little Guido. Uh, in my research, this is the first, uh, uh, house show match you worked it might be wrong though sometimes the website i look at it might have been actually come to think of it yeah i, yeah. I think that was more extreme officiating but i but yeah. yeah i think right but yeah yeah i don't think i was there long for that that was that was shit that was pure um uh having an opportunity and doing what every dumb kid does i said go a minute and then guido and sal are gonna run in i remember that and our one minute spot that it, when you're a kid you think that one minute is quick holy shit what can i do in one minute mm. so so you go too fast right and you, you go a million miles an hour it sucks you can't do things well when you're going too fast plus they're not letting it you're not letting it breathe for the fans to care and to get invested in it and consequently your little series of stuff that should have lasted a minute or 90 seconds you got done in 30 seconds you know because you're going way too fast and then I stand there waiting like a dope, not for 
it felt like an eternity. It might have been five seconds, but uh, for FBI's music to hit, for them to come get us, because I went so fast that they weren't ready yet for for the queue. Right. You know, really. I mean, the the I mean, the music guy wasn't or anything like that. But Jesus, God, I told you to go a minute. That was two seconds or whatever it was. You know, yeah. it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but it went really well. You know, I don't think that. I think we just after that, you know, they calmed us down, calmed me down, and you know, worked a little slower and and did all they did. I don't, I don't even recall if we got any offense in on that. It was just a bunch of cool little table spots and some cool little innovative offense stuff they had. We were disguised there to, to take their shit. That's cool. That's part of it, you know. And yeah. And again, that was, that was that one of those first building blocks, first steps to getting to do something more. So I, I wish at the time I made more of it maybe i got to that next step a little sooner but that's how it goes i didn't so i had to stay at that step for a little while and learn a little bit more you know yeah that's how it goes. yeah and uh you know that was the 16th of october fast forward to the 18th of march 2000 oh. it's your tv debut match on hardcore tv against oh. chili willy a guy that yeah. we had on the show and he could not remember that he even had this match and it was his first match uh, that was his first match. He didn't remember it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was like, really? I don't remember doing that. I'm like, yeah, man. And then afterward, I like put the WWE network up because the match only went three, four minutes. Got my phone, yeah. and recorded the match. And then I sent it to him like, here, dummy, here's your first match. <laughs> <laughs> that was 100% his first time ever being seen on TV. I can't believe he didn't remember yeah, but, and yeah. Uh, he was—he's a great guy, and he, you know. Uh, but it was a great match, and I thought, you know, his debut was was fantastic. But the the crowd were really hot for what took place here. Yeah, it was. I always call that my good luck building. Building that was in Salem, New Hampshire, and every time we went there, I got to do something awesome. I mean, I don't know why, but uh, and that was one of those. Dusty was there, and that night I don't remember what he did, but he was there, and uh, Paul was there, and. Um, and when we got to the back, I just, nobody was saying anything. I said, Paul, thanks for letting me do that. Look, I was fucking tremendous. And then they went, they gave us <laughs> that's how a baby face fires up. That's how, that's, that's a baby face right there. And then the music guy who I'd become friends with came over because he had headsets on. He said, you should have heard these guys on the headsets talking about how blown away they were by what you did. They weren't expecting that to be that well, for you to be that kind of, they're already talking about ideas they want to do with you, you know, and, um, they were just bannering during that little quick two or three minute match or whatever. Was, oh, wow, we could do this. We could do that, you know, because they weren't expecting me to do as well as I did. However well that was, you know, but um, I watch it now. It's awesome. But of course there's a hundred things I do different, but, but you know, that was a long time ago, but um, yeah, it, um, it was, uh, that was an awesome, awesome little experience. Like that was actually Jeff Jones. If you remember that name, he's backstage yes. at AEW now. I, All right. he, uh, he actually, um, I believe they called him as a heel. They called him the extreme official before I got there. Right. And then he um, he told he was ring announcing that night, and he said, "Hey, when you win, I'm going to refer to you as the extreme official." That's awesome. So that's how he started. And I believe it was him. I knew that they were writing the TV, and they said, "Well, we want to do this thing with Loke to play off the shit with Carino and blah blah blah." And then Loke will beat uh, somebody for uh, you know that uh, that Carino brings out, and that happens to be Chili, Chili Willie. And everybody's like, well, how do we do that? He's a rep. What, what, how do we get to that? And I know, I, as I recall, as Jeff Jones said, why, why doesn't Logan count the three himself? So, yeah, which was a great idea. Yeah, and then we did, that, we did that around the house shows. All, it's just some heel would come out and challenge me, fight, fight, fight. Wherever we do, I'd hit a finish count three myself. And that worked every time. 
and you we got to do, so we do little cool things with it where if the heel was choking me in the corner, I'd count while I was getting choked, you know, like, you know, you got a five count to break, right? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, what the shit am I doing? You know, and then they'd make a break. <laughs> I'd kick him in the nuts or something. But um, one of my students right now, as he progresses with his wrestling school, I have him ref with his wrestling. I have him refereeing on shows, shows we do. And I've kind of passed that down to him. Oh, cool. um, so a couple of times he's had those exact matches that I had. And I get this guy over and do it just like this and do this little spot. It's a fun little thing. And it, and it works literally every time. So yeah. you get a reaction people so it's cool fun <laughs> yeah man and a week later this is huge in kansas city you beat steve carino so uh tell me a bit about yeah. that that was awesome it was uh that was i thought that went well and dusty came out at the end and it was a great little moment for me um and i kind of that was one of those things where when it got when they told me that's what i was doing I was like, holy shit. And Tony DeVito sitting next to me, just slapping me on my legs. He's driving away now, buddy. And then afterwards, everybody was complimentary and it went well. And I thought, you know, we're really going to do something with this now. And, um, and we kind of did, but it just kind of, it never really, I mean, the, I think the company that was so frazzled at that point where probably the last thing they worried about was what they're going to do with me, you know? But we would do stuff like that still all the time. Right? And, uh, that was a great thing. But as you might have in your notes, though, uh, sometime after that, they introduced a heel referee, which is Danny Daniels. And we kind of, we would always bounce off of each other doing something. We, we had a dark match before the pay-per-view, before a pay-per-view. That's on the network somewhere. That made one of the TV shows. And, uh, and uh, anytime I would get bumped, he'd come in and I'd bump him. About, we would do that a lot. And, the future of that was had the company not closed um i was going to switch heel join him and we were going to wear black and white striped wrestling gear uh-huh. and call ourselves the law that was tommy dreamer's idea that, that's what i was told <laughs> that was my idea we we're going to be the law but we never got that so yeah and that's a shame that's a good idea yeah. um yeah. so i wanted to take a, a quick Step to the side here. We're talking about all your stuff on television and in ring, but I always ask everyone about the party scene, what it's like after the shows. I know you're tearing down rings and all that, so maybe you don't get to be a part of it, but do you ever get to experience uh, partying after the shows of the boys at the Travel Lodge or anything like that? Oh, sure. I mean, certainly not as much as everybody else because, you know, ring crew being what it was, but, but you know, there was, there's quite a few times like that, you know, but, um, a lot, mainly it was all business hustle. And a lot of times we'd have to head on to the next town, depending on where it was, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, but there were certainly times, um, especially whenever we were in New Orleans, because everybody wants to hang out on Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. The great, this is Angel from the Baldies. You got to have him on sometime. We have uh, had him. Yeah. Have you? Well, yeah. Uh, do a part two and ask him about me and him on Bourbon Street one night, where, where after an ECW show and we go out. We pull it, we go into this place and everything yeah, down there is daiquiris. I didn't know that, but there's a drive you can go through. A, the Smoothie King is the name of one of the arenas, right? But um, but there's drive through alcoholic uh, uh, daiquiri places there. And whenever you go in, in New Orleans, they all serve their special daiquiris. So we go into one place and me just being me, I'm like, Age, what kind you want here? And he says, Oh, maybe this kind, this kind. And, uh, he looks and goes, shit, I forgot my wallet. I go, it's on me, buddy. Don't you worry about that. It's fine. You know? 
And uh, I told the lady what we'd like. She goes, you want small, medium, large, or extra large? And Angel, Angel starts talking. I go, extra large, ma'am, please. Don't worry, I'm buying my friend a drink. Yeah, we'll do that. She goes, okay, that'll be eighteen fifty a piece. You know, we're making 75 bucks a night to wrestle. Like, and, <laughs> and Angel's over here going, thanks, Loke. And he's drinking on his goddamn thing. You know, it's $18.50 drink I bought him. <laughs> then we went to the store next door. And he sees something cool. And he goes, I got to have that. Throws it up on the counter. Whips a lot of cash out of his pocket. Oh. Go, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, I said I forgot my wallet. I didn't say I forgot my cash. <laughs> we go to this place later, and uh, that same night we and I'd been sick. I almost didn't go out. They came back. In fact, I told them no, and they came back to get me, kind of drug me out. I was sick as a dog, and uh, had a couple of me and Angel and the Dups, if you remember them. We we're having yeah. a couple of drinks in this place. There's a, you go into a bar, and there's a courtyard, so you're outside. And there's tables out there and a bar out there. And then there's the bathroom. So you got to walk through the, co- the courtyard to use the bathroom. This is a terrible story. Very self-deprecating. But I'm going to, you know, it makes me look like a jerk. But it's entertainment. <laughs> Here we go. So Angel says, I got to piss. I go, so do I. We go in there. And my stomach's rumbling because I've been sick. And I'm peeing. And I go, Angel, I got to jump in the stall. He goes, all right, I'll see you out there. So I do. And that's just like a horror show you know my stomach is exploding <laughs> on me and i hear this bang 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 pow 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 what's going on type of shit like that and people like screaming come to find out there was out of nowhere there was a hailstorm out there and it was hitting and there was a tin roof uh, on this thing high, yeah. i hear women's voices close right and i peek out through the crack and there's three girls in the men's bathroom because they dived in there dove in there to get out from this hailstorm they're going, oh my God, it's t- it stinks so bad in here. It's so bad. Like, oh, I'm sick in here, ruling the thing. They're going, I can't stand anymore. I got to go out. You know, so they dive back out of the storm rather than be in there with me. Oh and I'm just gosh. like hiding in there. Thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do here? No toilet paper in the stall either. Had a Hulk Hogan off my underwear, that whole deal. Oh no, that sucks, man. So I'm sure there's a lot better stories than that. But whenever anybody asks me about, hey, whatever happened going out? after shows in ECW, that's one that goes in my mind. That was the, called that the massacre on Bourbon Street, what I did to those poor girls <laughs> in that bathroom. And, that's uh, fantastic. That's good. But that, that story itself is going to make a, uh, we're going to make that one a mini clip on the uh, YouTube good. channel. That's, oh, uh, good. Because not enough people know about me almost shit my pants on tour with ECW. That's great. Tremendous. <laughs> tremendous. Um, I want to bring it to a, a story that I always ask from everyone from their point of view, because eventually we want to get like 20 ECW guys tell their story of heat wave 2000. What do you remember of what happened at heat wave 2000 and the big fight that took place with the uh, XPW ring crew and the locker room? Mine will be the shortest clip of yours on there because that was in January of 2000, January 9th. Was it? No, I don't remember what it was, but it was, uh, at any rate, it was, Anyway, it was like four days after my son was born. I just told you. So I was home. So I, I uh, that's the only. It says it was uh, the 16th of July, 2000. 16th of July, 2000. My son was born the 13th of July. 2000. Ah, okay. So, so you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't there. But what I did was able to see Angel once again do a move that I made up that I was so proud of do it on pay-per-view that night because he knew I wasn't home and his goal was to get me to throw my son up in the air and yell at the the TV was just about (laughs) happening. And then uh, talk about the regret of missing that because there's guys like that, like Chili Willie, who is super talented. Um, 
I might say uh, uh, Tony Mamaluke, and I know there was others who Tony Mamaluke would have been a star, and that would have been a great tag team anyway. With and I mm. think he was probably already working with Guido. I know he was, but after that, their stock rose so much just personally in Paul's eyes, and that they were kind of like more figured in as the boys because there was a lot of guys out there, but those two guys I heard Paul say from his own mouth, you know that. They just rabid mode, and they were going to protect our guys. They'd gone after Francine, which was like makes my head itch now thinking about it. I mean, we we're like a family, and she's a woman, and blah blah blah. And she she would have been the sister, you know, the big sister to me. Not that she's older, but she's a veteran, you know. And um, so we'd have fought to the death for each other, but we'd have murdered for her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, those guys specifically, I can remember um, hearing the stories from everybody and from them, like Tony and, and Chili, for instance, just whooping dudes in the back. And um, their stock kind of went up after that because they were like you know, super figured in, you know, because the boss says, all right, you're not just talented. You're one of the boys and you're, you know what I mean? And I like to think if I was there, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have been out there being one of those guys throw, swinging at those people. I mean, I, for guys like us back then, we, you know, every time heals everything and you giggle about it, but for a guy like me and some of those guys I just mentioned, if you bring up that day or, or somebody that happened to be there on the other side that day, now, whatever that was 22 years ago, you're still a little pissed. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You're still like, fuck those guys. You know what I mean? All I don't say I want to fight them now, but you know, they got what they got and they got their asses kicked and I only wish I was there to help, you know, but I wasn't, you know, that, that's a big regret. Although big regret. I was home with my son who was, you know, he and his sister are the most important thing in my life, but wrestling wise, I, I certainly wish I was there, you know? Absolutely. But by the sounds of it, uh, your help didn't seem to be needed and whoever no, else they, wasn't there, their help probably wasn't needed either. Cause uh... they certainly didn't need me for all I know. <laughs> I'd have been sitting there getting my ass kicked and they'd had to save me too. And then so, <laughs> But. Um, so uh, I was looking through your match history in ECW, especially some of the uh, house shows matches that you had. You worked with Simon Diamond on April 16th, but I found it really interesting. Uh, you working with Bill Irwin on May 5th in Minneapolis and Jean-Pierre yeah. Lafitte, uh, a.k.a. Carl Ulay in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. uh, man, like <laughs> those are two really interesting names for you to be working on the house shows with. Um, yeah, I got all these. Uh, I guess I kind of thought Bill Irwin was a TV, but maybe not. Um, but uh, they uh, they they believed in me to some degree, right? I was doing something right, you know. Bill hmm. Irwin, while Bill Irwin comes in, legendary guy, and he, I think he was in for two shots. I know he worked the house show the day before, you know, because he wasn't coming in to have a job. He was just getting some work, you know. Yeah. Worked the house show the day before, and went over. I think Johnny Swinger on the house show. And I was under the assumption I worked with him at a TV, but I've never been able to find the, find the footage. So you're probably right. It probably was a house show. And, um, and I went over, you know, I'm like, yeah. this wild building, you know? And it's so <laughs> it's like, apparently somebody, I'm doing something right here. You know, somebody's believing in what I'm doing, but, but that was a lot of fun. That was one of those guys like, you know, it, it, uh, it didn't call anything, nothing. You know what I mean? You just go out there and you listen. And if you're a baby face, you fight until the heel stops you. You know what I mean? Don't let yourself die, but you know, um, you know, just, just listen and, and do what you're supposed to do. 
And um, that was a lot of fun. You know, I wish I had footage or pictures or something from that deal. Because I think that I know Jack Victory was out there, which would have been, I'm sure Steve Carino was out there too, because he was doing this thing where he'd bring in guys to take me down, you know, and what could be better, the king of old school, than a guy like Wild Bull Irwin coming in. So then yeah. he was one of the guys that came, came in to take me out. And right. So, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's cool. It. And I've, I've got access to a lot of uh, old uh, ECW stuff, especially fan cam footage. So if I can find yeah. that, I'll, I'll let you know. And, uh, and do. Uh, yeah, somebody. Yeah, I'm sure that, uh, well, the RF guys used to always do the fan cam at all the house shows. So it's got to be out there somewhere, but I'd love to yeah. see that. Sure. Uh, and of course, uh, Carl Lay, uh, which is, uh, you know, that's an interesting matchup considering, you know, geez, 20 years later, he was uh, Ring of Honor. Heavyweight champion. Yeah. Uh, right. Any he's, memories he's, of working with him? Honestly, he did that. And I'm like, boy, I could maybe go back there and still do that. <laughs> you know, once yeah. he, you know, once I saw that, because he's even older than me. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, that was very cool. I think it was, as I recall, it was pretty simple match. Um, uh, he was a nice enough guy. I remember there being a little something where he didn't remember or didn't didn't wasn't really sure what they wanted him to do. So he asked me to go ask Tommy Dreamer. So I did. And um, Dreamer had said something like, well, he shouldn't be asking you to, to ask me. He could ask me. Mm. And I'm like, is that, and I, you know, I'm not saying anybody, but I remember thinking at the time, did I do something wrong here? You know, cause everything was, I don't want to say there was you walk on eggshells, but you walk on eggshells, you know what yeah. I mean? Not because anybody was mean to me. I felt loved there. I felt like part of it, but I knew I was a young guy and what we've gotten away from in wrestling. And here's, I'm going to try not to do one of my long half hour tangents, but that whole paying your dues, knowing your spot, knowing where you are, respecting the veterans and understanding that you're very, very lucky to be there because a million other people want to be, you know, so it was very much like, God, I don't want to screw up and I don't want to, uh, you know, say something wrong or act something wrong or not be, not be where I'm supposed to be or do what I'm supposed to do. But I, that, it's funny that I tell that's probably not a very entertaining story, but anytime I haven't thought about it many times, I've forgotten about it. But whenever I do remember working with Carl that day, that just sticks out in my brain. Some that little thing of, well, he and Dreamer kind of had to have a talk. I don't, not with any heat, but there was, oh, he shouldn't be asking me. You shouldn't be asking me that. He should. I'm like, did I screw up here? Is there a lesson for me in here? But I mean, there wasn't. But um, yeah. I guess that's where my head always goes. goes goes with of that course. day. A lot to our business that goes on like how you conduct yourself backstage. And we've gotten away from that. We have, you know, to a lot of guys you haven't and to the people that are successful, you don't, but you go around to these indies and, you know, uh, in my old school mentality, you, you can see guys kind of in the back, not acting the way they should or, or um, playing grab ass in the locker room and not just being humble and blah, 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 especially new guys that are just kids. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm the friendly uncle in a wrestling locker room. I'm the guy that you can ask about to watch your match or ask advice from, or, you know, or, and make sure that I, I try to make sure like the ring crew has enough money to get something to eat afterwards or anything like that, you know, cause people did that for me and I want to be that guy. Having said that, it was just a, you know, not to get on a tangent, but a month or so ago, I'm in a locker room. There's these young guys that can tell if they're 20, you know, I'd be surprised. They're wrestling students and I'm sitting in the locker room getting dressed and they're the first ones in there. And they draw, they take chairs, get in the middle, telling, Oh, your mama, blah, 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 joking, laughing around, being loud, all these things. And I 
couldn't take it anymore. I went over and I went up one side of him down the other and I said, and explained to him how, if that was me, when I broke in, especially in the ECW, I'd have got my, if I was lucky, I'd have got my ass. Kicked. If I was unlucky, I'd have got my ass kicked and fired. You know what I mean? That's, that's not, you know, you're, you're lucky, you're young, you're lucky to be here. That's not the, how you handle yourself in, in a wrestling locker room, especially when you're new. And mm-hmm. I knew I don't mean, oh shit, I've been doing this for almost two years. No, I mean, once you have a career, you know what I mean? Once you're, once you've been out there on the road and doing it for three, four five years, 10 years, whatever, and everywhere you go, you start over because you're still the new guy. And uh, it says, you go over there, sit in the corner, sit in the corner, sit in the corner and just speak when spoken to. And I still do that when I go to a new place. And so these guys are going to. So when I say walk on eggshells, I was very, very careful to, to handle myself as, as you should in our business. I always yeah. have been, especially in ECW, especially, you know, and just make sure that you know that you're there to pay your dues and do your thing. When you talk about paying your dues, um, and I'll put this story, and their story up against anybody of this generation could ever have. As far as in ECW, I've ridden from Atlanta to Florida in the back of the ring truck, 20-foot movie van with no windows or anything on top of the ring because that was the only spot for me to put the pad. So I'm up there, pitch black, dark. You can't see. You're, you know, nothing like that. I had to ride there for that because that's because I was the new guy. And then when something has to be done, so I would several times in, in ECW, several, several nights, I set up the ring, did the mandatory workouts to Tracy Smothers, God bless him, uh, sold the T-shirts to the fans walking in, myself and a lady named Bella and a lady named Jill Polacco, who's Just Incredible's wife, we sold the T-shirts. Then I would wrestle, referee, and ring announce from backstage with the cordless mic and tear down the ring, load the ring, and drive to the next town. That's paying your dues. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not It's not paying your dues isn't, boy, I drove four hours to this show today, and blah, 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 blah. No, you know, that, that's that's part of it. That's one little minute thing. You know, it's you have to earn your stripes in this, and it has to be a little bit of a struggle. Otherwise, everybody do it, right? And uh, yeah. So um, I don't know how I got on that. But, That's but, all right. No, but like, and I know what you're saying. It's like uh, if you didn't go through all that, your successes wouldn't feel as good. Not, not, not at all. And I mean, and it's part of. It's kind of like, and it's gearing you up to, for several things, to be one of the boys, to know that all right, I'm a part of this. And that other people who have been through what I've been through, in theory, there's a lot of assholes on there. 20-year veteran assholes, one year in, legends. But for the most part, it's supposed to be where here's a bunch of, we call each other brother for a reason. You know, it's a, it's a, that's old, you know, I mean, that, that's old as the hills. But um, I've been through a bunch of guys. I'm here in this locker room with a bunch of guys who have paid their dues, who have done what I've did, done, sacrificed to get here. So I got their back because I know they got mine. We're all in this together. You know what I mean? I, I always hate to trivialize this this comparison because I don't know that professional wrestling, even though I've given my life to it, is necessarily a noble profession. I mean, it's not, it's not brain surgery, but it's very important to us. And it's certainly nowhere near as no, noble as a career in the military. But you start both my daughters were, were in the military, one still is. Um, and you start with boot camp. And you're a grunt and you're a piece of shit and you better do my better. You know, my brother always tells about going to boot camp and, oh, you're 
Foot Locker wasn't just so dump it out and do it the fuck again. You think they do that because they hate you? They think they or they think you want to do that so that you can be disciplined and learn how this is how this shit goes, and then you're a valuable valuable member of the team. That then when we go to war together, again, not trying to equate the two, but I know you're somebody that is right there with me because you've earned yeah. your stripes. You know what I mean? It's you have to go through those steps. Plus, that's how you learn. You know, it doesn't matter how gifted you are as a kid. I have students that of mine that haven't had 15 matches that can do cooler moves than I've ever been able to do. That doesn't mean they know how to wrestle. You have to go through all the steps and earn it or else you're just never going to be great at this. Absolutely. Um, so I want to fast forward to December 12th. Uh, it's your final ECW match from my my uh, research that I've seen. Uh, you have a win over Danny Daniels at the Hammerstein Ballroom on Hardcore TV. Um not long after this, maybe a month, ECW is done. Um, yeah. So how did you find out ECW was uh, over and done with? Uh, when Paul Heyman showed up on Raw. And then I wasn't 100% sure then. You're always kind of hoping that it's not. You know, we did the thing and what was a Poplar Bluff or something. Uh, Pine Sorry, Bluff, something. yeah. Pine Bluff, yeah. They had, uh, had that kind of – but even then, when guys were kind of in tears – Dreamer saying, well, we still got a pay-per-view in a couple weeks, guys, you know, yeah. I was gonna, you know, but, you know, but no, not when I saw Paul, I mean, again, no sour grapes, but I wasn't as much as I can say, I totally felt like I was a member of that team and felt loved there. And I loved them and I love to see him and talk to him. Now I was still an opening match guy or, or, or a ring crew guy. And, and not that that's a bad thing whatsoever, but when the company goes bankrupt and it's sold, they're not necessarily going to, you know, call me. I would have appreciated it, but no one actually called me and said, but, but I'm not alone in that. It's not because I was a ring trim guy or anything like that. It was, there's a whole lot of us that didn't know it was done until it was just like, Oh, there's no more shows. No, the way there's nothing on the website. Oh, Paul's on raw. Oh, okay. I guess I got to try yeah. to find a job, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah. But, um, um, so I mean, yeah, if you find out on your own that this thing is over, you're starting to finally get on, you know, television, it's going to start to move into you being in this tag team eventually. Uh, that's all now done with. Uh, so how did it feel having this big family that you're a part of and now you weren't going to see them all so much anymore. And, and what was the first thing that you thought of and, um, to do after ECW and, when you realized you had to start over again and get bookings. Elsewhere. Well, a lot of it was, you know, then just kind of try to hustle and see if I can parlay that into a decent indie career, you know, that, that paid. Okay. Um, fast forward. Well, I'm sure ring of honors on your list. Um, along that time, guys were making a decent living. They could, there's a handful of guys that could make a living off from wrestling. And I've always loved, uh, uh, my day job being a contractor carpenter so I always had that that when I'm not on the road I can do that and I still do you know um, I have a little construction company but um but I, I was planning to of course do that for you know to, to feed the family but see what I can parlay as far as an indie career I had there was no place else to go there's nothing because yeah. WCW just closed at that time as well WWE was going to get everybody they wanted you know at that point it's not long after that at some point, they did the invasion angle with the ECW guys. And, of course, then your ears perked up. I'm like, 
what does that mean? You know, does that mean that we're all going back to work? How naive is that? Of course it's not, you know, and, yeah. and if we were, it's not going to be, you know, all of us, you know, the opening match guys anyway. Um, but uh, so it's just, it was just Indies, Indies, Indies until, um, until Ring of Honor came along. There wasn't any, like, I did a couple things with CZW in there. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of starting to get enough of a buzz there at one point to where it kind of seemed like more than just an indie, more like maybe this is a place, an actual territory, a place to work. It seemed like for a while. Um, but it was kind of just treading water and trying to get some good indie paydays and keep, keep in shape, ring shape until we found something, until Ring of Honor came along. Right. And I, I promise you, we're very close to being uh, at the Ring of Honor range of questions um i wanted to ask you sidebar what did you if you if you watched it all but what did you think of how the wwe handled the invasion angle i think probably exactly what everybody else did you know i was like you could have and and as in hindsight as i look back now i get it you know i understand it you know i've heard people that were there explain it and 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 of course just being older it makes sense but it's it was like you killed off killed it all off so fast and then the idea of well stephanie owns ecw which is so not ECW, so lame, you know what so i mean lame. and i mean I, I i don't know her at all but i love her she is the most beautiful talented articulate intelligent woman on the planet you know if i wasn't scared of her husband i'd buy her wedding ring but i <laughs> but but you don't think stephanie mcmahon ecw you know what i mean no uh, she, she's a genius I, I i think the world of her admire her you don't think she should be the owner of ECW. So that was like, Jesus, kind of right from there. Um, but, you know, we'd only, as far as that ECW brand in WWE, it was nowhere near its low point yet. <laughs> you know, so yeah. as far as, you know, some of the stuff they tried to do later when they tried to put out, just half-ass throw it on television, you know. And, and uh, of course, I wasn't involved with that. There was one or two conversations where somebody said, yeah, maybe, but yeah, maybe it's, I'm not even really thinking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, right. that's a, you know, that, that's just that's just easier than saying no. You know, they'll say, yeah, maybe we'll try to work that in. You know, but uh, but that that was no skin off my nose at the time. I don't know where I was at. Then. I guess it was still Ring of Honor, maybe, maybe not. But man, I, I think you were, I, yeah. Yeah. So I was so happy at Ring of Honor, I didn't even. I mean, again, not to keep jumping forward. I was so that was such my niche right there where to the point where the biggest compliment you could ever give me was the, the, the guys that ran the company, the company jokingly called me they say okay dreamer to me because i was i was the first guy they um, uh i don't know if you have this in your notes again i'm jumping ahead but i was the first guy that they hired to be an, an agent locker agent so all of those and, all, and i'm not taking any credit for it but you know all those guys at the time that going to become stars and would go on to be world champions and, and WrestleMania and all that stuff. I was the agent for their shit. Not that I was calling calling their matches by any means, but you know, but I was the guy relaying, let's do this and there's how we ought to get there. And I wish I'd made more of that at the time. I was still pretty focused on my own wrestling career and it wasn't multitasking well enough to dive into that to help everybody else. What an honor it was that they were asking me to do that. But that, that was my niche. You know what I mean? Tommy Dreamer was my hero. 100% my biggest mentor. And if I pleased him at ECW, Bull was right with the world. And um, the thought for anybody, even half as jokingly, to refer to me as that guy in a company like Ring of Honor, that was 
I'm here for good. I can remember Tom That's Richards yeah. specifically asking me on, a, on an independent show um, if uh, this is a young, dumb kid thing. I, you know, I was 30, but I, compared to now, I was still a dumb kid. And uh, I remember him asking me, um, uh, I had a really good match against other guys against two guys in Sergeant Slaughter. I happened to call a finish that night, and, he, and it worked really well. And uh, uh, Doc really liked that. And he said, do you ever have any interest in WWE? And I go, oh, thanks, sir. No, I'm happy where I'm at. And which may or may not have seemed dumb, but Ring of Honor was everything to me. That was, yeah. that was, that was, I, I, I felt like I'd made it again or even more so, you know, than yeah. Cool, man. Um, by the way, your audio has gone a little bit weird. I can still understand what you're saying, but I just wanted to let you know that it's, uh, it's sounding a little tinny. I don't know why. That's okay. Um, it's fine. You can still understand what you're saying. I just don't know what happened there whilst you're in the middle of talking. It kind of changed up a bit, but anyway, um, I totally agree with what you have to say about the invasion angle. That's for sure. Uh, what do you miss most about ECW? Gosh, just the guys, 100%. You know, it's total family vibe. Such a family vibe. I think it was one of the last places that really felt like a wrestling territory. And there was that structure of, you know, the new guys are going to pay your dues, but then you're going to earn it, and then you're going to be one of us. And you're one of us anyway. That's the other thing. I don't want to make it sound like nobody gave a fuck about the guy on their first day. They love the guy in his first day. You just had to pay your dues. You know, I mean, that's all there was to it. You know, we'd still look out for him as much as anybody else. But um, just very much a family vibe. And that's probably what everybody says. You know, it just, it just, I've never seen, and, and you know, just a couple of weeks ago was my 26-year anniversary doing this. And I've never seen anything like that. It was just so much like a team vibe, you know. It was um, like we'd have, team jackets made and stuff like that, you know, with your name embroidered on them. And it was, uh, and that was a big deal. And before I went to ECW, when we would see once in a while an ECW guy on Andy, and they'd come in wearing an ECW team jacket that we couldn't get. A fan couldn't buy that. That was for the boys, you know. And I mean, it was like, wow, man, those guys are kind of all in this together, you know. And that's what I missed a lot. I, I, it was, it was, um, uh, just everybody fighting for the same thing. I, I've said a lot of times, however long it was ago when we closed 2000, right? So 21 years ago or somewhere in there. Maybe it was 2001. I don't think so. Maybe it was. But um, I, uh, 20, 21 years ago when we closed down, I, uh, I often joke a lot. Half of us would still be there not getting paid. If and, all right. You could have not paid us yet. You know, but I'm only half joking with that because. Everybody knew what the deal was. I don't think that anybody thought that. I don't even know what the stories are, but there's stuff like, oh, the FedEx truck caught on fire with your checks in it. They, <laughs> yeah. You know, just dumb shit like that. I don't know if that's really one, but it might be. Something like that was one of the excuses. And I don't think anybody bought it, you know, but there, there was such a good core of us that this, this was our life. This is what we were doing with our life. It was it wasn't in, it was not just being a wrestler. It was being an ECW guy. You know, or girl. We had a lot of great women there too, and um, you know, so it was. As much as I talk about Ring of Honor being my my big thing and getting a real good break there, ECW was that. It was just that family. You know, I've never seen anything like it before since. Right, man. Yeah, yeah. I get you. Um, so fast forwarding to February twenty third, 
2002, I believe, you referee the very first Ring of Honor show, Era of Honor Begins. Yeah. How did you first find out about uh, Ring of Honor and the idea of Ring of Honor and and how did you end up coming aboard being a, a referee once more? Well, the, the, that was started by the guys that um, had run RF Video. Um, yeah. And, uh, and of course, I knew all that and seen them every day at ECW. And uh, their whole business model was, with ECW gone, they don't, don't have the tapes to sell anymore like they did. So, yeah. so they just wanted to create, I think it thought it was genius. I still think it is. Um, they need, wanted to, this is before streaming. So they just wanted to create content to sell. So they could technically put on a show and have talent in to where they can't, where they don't necessarily make money on the house, on the gate, but they know they're going to sell. But they'll make money. You know, in the, yeah. Of, of copies of that and that's and that was their profit they did great with that i saw they had announced it at the time i had started a tag team uh called the hate machine um which is a name i stole from a band i used to play with in rochester but uh rochester new york but um i uh i i had sent it to we'd been doing a few things and I had a partner who I was friends with who was actually for a very short time on Ring Crew with me in ECW. And he was a student of Tony DeVito. Um, and uh, I love the guy. He's pretty green, but he's a big guy, bigger than me. And we were doing some cool things. And I sent a tape to, to the RF guys. And they were, they really liked that tape. Like, that's great. We'll bring you in. And, um, you know, and then you can, their idea was, just me come the first time, and I, I set up a little cube with homicide, which is the whole reason why I, re I refereed the opening match on Ring of Honor. Right. And I so badly wanted to get away from being a referee, and they knew that. They had no desire to use me as a referee. Just they considered this, even though we weren't touring or anything like that, they knew it would be seen everywhere. And the last time I was seen nationally was doing the extreme official character, right? Yeah. So they thought that would be a good way rather than me just come out in tights too. To, yeah. to pull that. So I'm cool. So technically, and that's like one of my little things I get to brag about, the first in-ring talent to ever walk through a ring of honor curtain was me because I came out to referee the first match ever in the history. So I refereed that, and that was a quick little squash match. And that was just to – so that when you saw me later, it didn't automatically look like an angle. There's the ECW guy refereeing this, this match. Right. So that started to – um, so did something with Homicide, and Boogaloo was his partner at the time, and – However it happened, I got into got into it with Homicide after. He ended up giving me the Abbey Fork and um, getting a little color and dropped me with his finish. And that led into show number two. I'd come back with this partner of mine. And here's a little stuff that not a lot of people know. Um, we came back. It went horribly. That, that Philadelphia crowd shit on us, specifically my partner um, at the time. Uh, because they loved Homicide. They could give a fuck about me because I was an ECW guy. We're in Philly, but I was a referee and Homicide was their hero at the time, you know? Right, yeah. And um, and, uh, and they didn't give my partner any kind of a chance. And, and in all honesty, he, um, I've never seen tape of this night, but from all accounts, he, um, he, he uh, did very poor. Um, so he came to the back and, um, Went home and I don't remember what the vibe was like that. But Mike Johnson is a great friend of mine uh, for PW Insider. Yeah. Uh, wrote an article 
reviewing the first show. And he reviewed that angle. And um, one thing he mentioned in their sledge was the guy's name. I hate to bury him. Right. I can't tell yeah. the story without telling the story, you know. So, uh, and he, uh, he said uh, he looked beyond green and totally out of place, talking about my partner. And uh, so in the same night, I get a phone call from Sledge saying, I'm saying, you know, I'm going to hold you back with what I'm doing. I'm just, I, I can't play at that level. And I don't think he's ever wrestled since. It really right. kind of shocked him out of the business. And I got a phone call uh, shortly thereafter from the Ring of Honor guys saying, yeah, I don't want him to come back with you. you know, he said, but don't worry, we'll still do the angle. That was just cut off the tape. That that uh, so, unless you were in Philadelphia that night, you never oh, saw right. or knew that I had another partner. <laughs> so uh, said so. Let's keep it going, and we'll just pretend that you have a different that because at the end of the first Ring of Honor show, I cut a promo on my cell phone calling a mysterious tag team partner to come in, and we're gonna yeah take on outside of Boogaloo. Of course, Plan A was that for to be the Sky Sledge, but as it played out on show three of uh, in ring of honor um we revealed that to be tony devito i was calling that was my my idea i'd had um i brought a couple of my students with me to the first ring of honor show and he says pick one of your guys the guys from ring of honor said pick one of your two guys and that, that can be your partner and you know and um i think they were thinking about using this kind of as a job team which whatever i didn't want i wanted more than that for myself you know i don't care about winning and losing i just want an opportunity to be a star like everybody else you know I said, well, that's okay, but I could do that. But what about Tony DeVito? I love Tony DeVito. I, you think he'd do it? I said, I'm sure he would. He's not doing anything else. I called him, and we did that, and that's how that started. So, right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that nice little uh, story there that you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I did read in my research that you did team with someone called Sledge, so now I know why that guy went yeah. away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you do form a tag team with Tony DeVito. By the way, your audio has fixed itself somehow, so you're back on well, good. On, on normal terms here. Uh, you form this tag team. You're known as the Carnage Crew. Uh, your future was on the side. Uh, but one question before I continue talking about what you're doing with, uh, with Tony is, um, as time was going by in 2002, how did you feel Ring of Honor was progressing in those early days? After the first show, I think after the first show, but if not, certainly very early on, I thought, holy shit, the industry's already found something to fill the void of ECW. Yeah. Because this this was different. I Everybody on that show I'd seen or worked with or something on an independent, and they were becoming little independent stars on a small scale in their areas, and that was awesome. But they kind of came together, and it was the right city the right time and booked the right way and um at a time in the industry where there was a void and it was just holy shit this doesn't immediately it was literally after show one it if, if this explains it it didn't seem like just oh there's my there's a booking this felt like well that there's a job there you know i mean this is going to be you know my you know i rattled off i it was a you know for me personally i knew i was going to get maybe two shots to begin with and then, you know, get booked when I get booked there. I ended up being like, whatever, the first 35 or 45 or whatever, bring them on our shows. I, for a time, I was the only person that was on every one because I was always doing something. Again, I would help backstage, whatever, or yeah. something like that. Um, but, um, but 
right away, I think probably the first night I was very excited about it and thought, holy shit, you know, funny Steve Perino story um, about that first night. If you go backwards to, um, to ECW and uh, I'm refing a match and of course I'm kind of half-assed feuding with Steve. I'm refing his match against Tajiri on a house show somewhere. Uh, and uh, Tajiri puts him out on a table then does this big overhand chop like he's playing whack-a-mole or something and chops Steve in the stomach while he's laying on the table. And he just oh! And me, you know, we're having fun on the on house shows. And I lean over to Steve and I go, sell that, bitch. And they go <laughs> on about their match and try not to laugh. You fast forward however many years later, that first Ring of Honor show, I, got, I took the fork from, uh, from Homicide and then took his finish. And they stretchered me out of there. We go through the gorilla. I got blood coming out of my face. I'm on the stretcher. Steve's there. He stops everybody, gets them all the way, leans over to me and goes, sell that bitch. And I told <laughs> him, it was great. <laughs> Gets you back after all that time. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was an interesting one that I saw. Uh, I still haven't seen the show itself, but I remember um, reading the results of it years ago. December 7th, 2002, Night of the Butcher. Uh, you yeah. both work with Abdullah and Homicide. That is pretty huge as far as I'm concerned, that stage of Abdullah's career to um, yeah. be working in Ring of Honor and having a show be about him. Uh, tell me a little bit about that experience. That was awesome, man. It was, uh, it, it was great. Um, we had a couple ideas of some stuff to do. One thing I always like to tell about that, you know, you don't have to call those matches a lot. If you're professional, professional you only really need bullet points anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a little harder these days when everything's so kind of choreographing, not to get on my soapbox, but, you know, it's time, especially in that kind of match, because we're just fighting, you know. But uh, we started talking about a match, and, of course, Abby's a veteran. So he's going to say, well, how about we'll do this, then you do that, then we'll do that. And he's telling he's very, very smooth while he's telling us what he thinks we ought to do. And I'm like, okay, all right, three of us around there. Then he goes, okay, so to go over it again, we'll do this, la, 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 la. and he said it completely different than he did the first time. <laughs> and he says, okay, so one more time, it was this, blah, 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 then maybe you'll do that, blah, blah, blah. and he told it completely different than he did the first three times, you know? So with the, th the other three of us just said, all right, man, see you out there. We'll just stop. It'll be great. So but I, one thing Abby wanted to do, because it's hard for him to get in the ring, he wanted me to first move, coming to get him when he's on the outside. He yanks me out from underneath the rope and he's going to jam a fork in my head that's opening spot okay yeah. no tackle drop down leapfrog shit here opening spot is fork right in my forehead <laughs> he says and go down and get color said, okay so yanks me out fork in the head i go down boom boop, 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 do what i gotta do come up and he says i said get color go, okay Geesh. now i always i always pack two you know just for case i don't have enough or Whatever, if I got to do something somewhere else, even even these days, I'm weird about too much inside baseball stuff. Like, letting, but everybody knows, and that's that's what it, that's what it was. So I had a second one with me, and I went down. Now I'm like, dee, 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 and I could see a drop of blood come off my nose. I'm like, all right, and you can tell when there's wet on your forehead. It's warm, yeah. and I could see it drop off my nose. I go back up, feed back up, and his exact words were, "Don't you have a blade?" I'm going. 
you know, I could see the blood. I could look down and see it on my nose, you know, but not enough for him. And I say, calmly as can be, I said, sir, how about you do this? How about you take the corner? I'm calmly like this in front of sold out building. Sir, how about this? Why don't you take the corner of your fork and just work it in my cut? So I got a little bit more. That probably sounds gruesome, but that's the type of things we do. You can work that around there. He says, okay, geez, geez, geez. And I still, in the right light, you can see I got a vertical scar, scar there. Of him. You know, no stitching or nothing, but just taking off. He's master with it. He just took off a couple layers of skin, but it was about an inch and a half long mark. But it's no, uh, no, uh, he did it perfect. There was no stitches or anything, but I was bleeding for, for good then. Then he wanted to <laughs> stick a fork under my tongue. You know, the one that has already had at least my blood on it. Who knows how many other people, but it was a crazy time when we were young. All he does is he grabs, grabs me, grabs a fork, and all he says is, open your mouth and trust me. Like, okay. <laughs> so he does that. But it was, that, was, that was a lot of fun. I, I learned an important lesson in that match about, about working from him, and you wouldn't think so. I mean, he's a legend, but we happened to do this thing where DeVito was off selling something. And I don't know where he was, but I uh, ended up um, countering something on homicides, suplexing him, dumping him on his head. And then I come up and Abby's just sitting in the corner like this. I'm like, I can't just let him sit there. I go, what would I do if he's anybody else? So it's a hardcore match. I'd waffle him with the chair. So I grab the chair and I come over and I give him a good one. I'm not going to hurt him, but I give him a good one. That's the only way I know how to work. You know, he swats it down. It starts, this huge man, you know, starts, and I'm not busting his balls, kind of like waddling, but trying to run at me with the fork. And with, I swear on my children, I thought he was so mad at me. And everybody else did too. It was the best. And they're all going, oh shit, oh shit. You can hear him. Hear him <laughs> He's going to come and kill me. And I start backing up on a shoot. And then, you know, it, it's all happened in the course of a second, but I realized, I can't literally run away from this guy. So I'm just going to have to take whatever he's got. And I was sure that this is going to be bad. And I start backing up and I stop so he can catch me. Light as a feather, light as a feather. Didn't hurt me at all. But the people <laughs> thought he was really mad and so did I. And I tell that story a lot to my students. I'm like, see that little thing right there? That Just for a second, he did a little something where everybody, including his opponent, thought he was really mad. And then he got right back to business and didn't hurt me. And um you can manipulate the people that way. And, you know, you're always learning. At that point, I remember exactly, I was eight years in the business, thought I knew everything. I thought, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't ever, ever, I say that I was never, ever cocky about it, but shit, I'm eight years. I've been doing this a long time. Stone Cold Steve Austin was eight years in the business when he won WrestleMania. So I'm, I'm a veteran. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. You know, now I'm 26 years in the in the business. And I look back and say, you didn't know anything. You know what I mean? But it's always like that. I can remember one year in thinking, I'm pretty good at this. And at five years in saying, no, you didn't know shit. Then in 10 years saying, no, you didn't know shit then. Yeah. And I'm sure. But, you know, so I, you know, I'm always learning. I learned from Abby that night. It was a great time. Yeah, man. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing. And you know what? Al Snow said the same thing when we interviewed him. He was like, I thought I knew everything. And I'm, he's always learning and he's still, you know, later on in life when he's not really working as much anymore in the ring, he just like, thinks back to what he was like when he thought he knew everything is like, wow, that, that kid really didn't know anything still at that. Yeah. Point. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting that you say that. Um, so uh, you're feuding with uh, Dan Maff and BJ Whitmer, uh, eventually Jimmy Jacobs as well. And this is uh, the 
moment uh, I've been most looking forward to on the on the show is talking about you and Tony becoming the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. After all this yeah. hard work, you're in this, I guess, this company now. Yeah. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> you're in this yeah. company now, which is almost kind of like the, the continuation of, of that same kind of vibe ECW had. And now you've uh, been given this uh, great opportunity to uh, represent the company as tag champions. How did that feel? Yeah, it was great. That was, we hugged and cried in the ring and knew we'd done something special. Knew we, we were, we had kind of reached the pinnacle of tag team wrestling where we're at. Like I said earlier, that's the company I wanted to be in. You know, I wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd have taken other opportunities if they were there and thought about it, but I wasn't one of the guys saying, Hey, I hope, because TNA was starting. I hope, you know, mm. oh, cool. Maybe I can go to TNA. I didn't care. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I was in Ring of Honor. I was a Ring of Honor guy, you know. And um, so that, that was everything. And it felt such like, like, uh, such a level of validation, you know, for, yeah. for the years, years and years and years of hard work into the business, but specifically us as a team and then getting to do that. And it was, um, we didn't have the world's longest reign, but but you know there that's that's a major major company and it's as legitimate as anything can be in pro wrestling. That's a legitimate world title, and um, and uh, it meant everything to me. And it was something that the office had done, kind of as appreciation to us. We were um, funny because that was a long time ago. But at the time we thought we were getting kind of old. And I still wanted to wrestle forever, but you know personal life crept in. Right? I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into that, but. Along those times was when my marriage was getting ready to end. Okay. And it was important for me to try to save that, and which didn't end up working. But more so, it's like now once you realize it's not, you have to move on. Um, I, it was getting harder for me to justify um, leaving my kids to go wrestle. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, okay. it's one thing when there's a family vibe. And uh and there's, you know, two incomes, you know, stuff like that, you know. Um, so it was going to be uh, as much as we earned those, we deserved them. And, and I'd make an argument, maybe I, I wouldn't say we should have, but I would have bought the idea of us getting them sooner or getting them longer or anything like that. It was uh, as, as much as I feel like we deserved that. It was also a thank you from the company we worked for that for all that we done for them and uh for as hard as we'd worked and it was kind of like a real it was almost like our it's funny because it was a lifetime ago and i've wrestled longer since then than before then but it was yeah. kind of like our up until that point if not our lifetime achievement award it was our midlife achievement award you know what i mean it was for everything you've done you know if uh i was going to not be able to be as full time right then because i had to be a dad you know and i and um there was a time in my life where as important as that was to me and is to me, and it's the most important thing that ever was, I still was a wrestler first, you know what I mean? And uh, and uh, not before being a dad by any means, but where that was what my life was about. It was where I was going to wrestle, blah, 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 and all the kids are home, the kids are home. And then when it became just me, um, at least when I had them, you know what I mean? It was, it was important for me to concentrate more on that. And um, and uh, so that it was a culmination of everything. It was very, very emotional. There was real tears involved there. Yeah. It was, it was um, probably, certainly my one of 
probably my crowning achievement. Um, and actually in 2000, what was, we just ended that terrible 2020. So I guess 2019, I won a, a version of what they call the UPW up here, Upstate Pro Wrestling World Heavyweight title in an arena in Rochester, New York, where the whole floor was sold out. And that meant, that was wow. almost up there with me um, as far as what, because um, at that point I was 45 years old and very much in the in the most uh, best shape of my life and wanting to do this. And at that, at that point it was my youngest son had gone to college. So it's all just me. So I can be on the road. Uh, you yeah. know, that year I did 73 shows, you know, stuff like that. You know, obviously nobody did in 2020, but in 2019 I did. And um, so that was a big deal to me, but I still look at that Ring of Honor title win as brief as it was, is that was, that was it. That was the big deal. That was, that was the, that was the, that was the best. If it wasn't the best match, I, I the match is a blur. It was the best moment of my career, of my life, the best achievement. And I got to do it with Tony DeVito, who is, you know, my wrestling best friend. And I always make him feel awkward. I always feel corny saying that, saying this to him, I make him feel corny, but I tell him, Tony, you're my wrestling soulmate. And he very <laughs> much is. We're, we're like, you know, I talked to him yesterday. And we're like brothers, and we haven't had a chance to do this very much in the last several years. He's semi-retired, but um, you know everything like the matches just go just right. He's that he can do things that I can't, and I can think about things mm. he doesn't think of, and and it, it was it's just a perfect ride. That's cool, man. Uh, speaking of Tony, do you have any funny or fun Tony DeVito stories? God, uh, what can I tell? Um, <laughs> got a million of them. I don't know. Something I can't tell. One of them, I'm sleeping on the floor in Ring of Honor in the hotel room, and he's sleeping in the bed. But <laughs> he's drunker than the son of a bitch, right? And somehow <laughs> he ends up completely naked while he's sleeping, right? And he gets up to stumble and needs to go get a drink in the hallway. And he comes over and he walks completely on me. And he's a big fat fuck, right? Short fat fuck, anyway. So both feet on me. And he doesn't even know he's there. He stumbles off of me. And I'm, oh, Jesus Christ, like, hurt. And they left the door open. I see his bare fat ass walk out there. And he's walking up and, uh, the, uh, up and down the hallway looking for the soda machine, which I, he got. And <laughs> he came back with his drink. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He can't even talk. And he stepped on me again. Get back in bed, son of a bitch. I had to <laughs> tell that to him the next day. You don't even remember. But, <laughs> I, I'm sure I can think of it. If I time, I can think of a million. But we had tons of time. I had ride, trying to drive from here in New York to Wisconsin in the snow. And I would drive a half mile because I get so scared. And he knew he wanted to sleep. You know what I mean? So I'd drive a half mile. So... And he's like, fucking what? So he had to drive <laughs> so shitty in the snow. But uh, a million things, a million stories. But that is, well, that's the first one that's in my head. Naked, <laughs> so, where he steps on me three or four times. <laughs> awesome. Um, I want to ask you about what the idea was behind adding Masada and Just Incredible to the Carnage crew. Um, I guess I don't know what they are. Uh, if there was a, uh, I think we we requested just incredible. I yeah. think. I'm sure because we liked him a lot. Personally, still do, obviously. Um, and he was kind of a. He and Tony were close in WWE as underneath guys, real close. Um, I don't know if I'm telling the story right, but I think Tony got PJ, Justin, his gig first with WWE. 
Right. Um, and uh, and uh, we just wanted him with us. You know, we kind of, I mean, you know, if you go back, 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 it's funny that uh, uh, before I went to Ring of Honor, or I'm sorry, before I went to ECW, um, there was a period where Just Incredible was my favorite wrestler. He had a, this great match on Heat Wave 98 with, uh, with uh, Jerry Lynn. Yeah. And um, somewhere, uh, you know better than me, but, they, you know, it was not super long after that. I ended up going and starting to go hang around ECW. But I loved that so much. I watched it. I called it my treadmill match. I watched it every day doing cardio. And uh, for a long time after that came out, and I would dress like him on the independents. And, um, the, like, a lot of people dressed that way. But he had, like, the cut-off jeans and the cut-off shirt. Very ECW-like, you know. It became... Yeah. You know, very independent wrestling for anybody who didn't want to buy wrestling gear. But that's a whole other story. Um, you know, you fast forward to ECW. He's world champion, and I'm and I'm trying to give him a chair because that's what you do. You know, back to your painter. Give, give him my chair. PJ, can I carry your bags? And he wouldn't ever let me. He wouldn't take my chair. He would never let me. You know, and he had every right. To, you know what I mean? And um, and he should have. You know, maybe. You know, but. And then after I started doing the extreme official thing, I would referee the championship matches, and he would always call a spot because I'm a big face and he's a heel. But the big thing you got to remember is he's the world champion and I'm a referee, and he would always call a spot for me to bump him. Just total generous <laughs> guy, you know what I mean? Because he's like, and he would never, if there was a match where he needed a ref bump, he didn't want me to do it because he didn't want me to look weak because he wanted me to look like a wrestler. Yeah, you know, fair enough. Like that. So, um, but if there was something, there could be some physicality where I could hit him. He would always let me do that. He would call it, you know, I can't stress that enough. Full champion calling spots for the referee. I'm not just talking like the referee shoving Ric Flair. You yeah. know, he'd have me light him up with punches and send him off and give him something, you know? And yeah. uh, <laughs> so and then you fast forward to Ring of Honor and you have an opportunity to, you know, we're wearing these shirts. We had, a, we had a, I can't remember the name of it right now, but we had a, our team had a clothing sponsorship. For these jinxed clothing awards, jinxed t shirts. They had all these really cool, um, evil looking t shirts, you know. Um, and uh, so we're wearing that. And I think we made the comment of like, this is something DJ would wear, you know. And that's kind of how it kind of got, right. got the ears rolling, you know. They came in with us, and that was, there was talk at one. I think they have a six man tag team title now, but there was talk of introducing one then. Just talk. That would be a cool thing we could do. And Masada came in. And he was a, a Rudy Gonzalez guy. Rudy, he runs at Texas Wrestling Academy. And um, he just was, he would do anything. You know, he would, he'd be in matches with us and he'd want to take all this huge shit and then we'll eventually have to switch to we were feuding against him. I'm like, I have, a, it's called Saido Suplex, which I, I do a lot. And, you know, it's kind of a high and tight, fairly uncomfortable bump as it is. He's like, yeah, will you do that to me on the outside on a chair through whatever and the, he just was up. He just wanted to do all that stuff. And since then, he's become for that whole deathmatch click, which I'm just on the fringes of. You know, I, I I stick my toe in once in a while. I don't know as much about it as other people do. But he became one of the kings of that, you know, like as far as like legendary and that stuff. He, he, he was great at that. Yeah, cool, bro. Uh, well, thanks for sharing your, your thoughts about those two guys. They're an important part of your history. Um, another Two guys who uh, I would say are an important part of your history are the Backseat Boys. Uh, do you tell me any stories you have of working with those guys or hanging out with them? 
I just love those guys. Trent was our brother. Man, I Trent Acid was Trent Acid. You know, if he if if he'd been able to go a different way in his personal life, and that's not me dumping on him because there's a lot of similar baggage with me and a lot of people. But um, you know, he he'd be we'd be talking about him right now the way we talk about AJ Styles or something. Yeah. You know, um, he was he was great. He was great um, and ahead of his time. Um, uh, we'd have great, great matches with those guys. Um, just always so much fun. Talk about up for anything, you know what I mean? And as far as, and it's one thing if somebody's up for anything as far as giving you a move. It's a different thing if they're up for anything as far as taking a move from you. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I got an idea. Why don't you just do this? And I'll land like, are you sure yeah. you can take that without getting hurt? Yeah, man, I'll be fine. It'll look great. You know, and uh, Trent was like that. Johnny too, but Trent was special. I'm sure Johnny would tell you that as well. Um, uh, there was a time when we did some combined show, um, Ring of Honor and Jersey All Pro co- co-promoted a show somehow yeah, for some reason. This is, and yeah. we did something where we called it the Marty's versus the Sean's backstage. Because it, was, <laughs> it was like me and Trent versus, I think it was me and Johnny versus Tony and Trent. And that was yeah. our big rip. The Marty's versus the Sean's. Well, we're the Sean's, you're the Marty's, you know, all that. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, we had so much fun with them. And of course the infamous, um, I don't know if you know or aware of the story of the infamous Teddy Hart night in Ring of Honor. Oh, uh, when he fucking kept after. on jumping off the fucking top of the yeah. cage. Oh my yeah, God. that was all, that was, those were my, I mean, I can say this clearly. Those were, those were my matches. They're, they're, they're uh, everybody was in charge of doing their own thing. And I'm not saying I'm the only people that did anything, but that's the scramble cage. I physically built the uh, platforms for the, you know, put on the cage and, yeah. and I come up with these stories of how we were going to do it. Well, they, the office would tell me, you know, and now we start planning on what we could do when, and that was a hundred percent my finish. My idea was we'd give, I can't remember who was on, but DeVito and I gave our finish to somebody. Um, I always land on my feet with that. And I feed right into the T gimmick, which was a backseat boys finish one, two, three, they pin me. It's their moment. Um, so it's supposed to be, that's supposed to be a big deal for them. You know, they just yeah. beat four other teams or whatever it was. And then Teddy Hart starts doing his bullshit while they're celebrating in the ring. Oh my God. You know, so I think DeVito bumped him once, you know, to get, have him get down and sell. And um, uh, then we started walking to the back. If I, if I remember that, it was three times. Then we started walking to the back and um, he got up and did another flip. You know, so not only is he not, is he not selling what DeVito just gave him? He's still shitting on the guys that won the match. Oh my God. And, man. um, and I've heard other people tell this story, like Jim Cornette, like I, I like a lot of his stories, but he tells a story this day and he tells it incorrectly. It's not, it's not how it went. It wasn't just, uh, you know, um, he was not supposed to get up there and do that shit. And, and uh, in fact, he, uh, he, uh, in the heat in the back was, from us, you know, so I ran back out there. We both did DeVito and I, DeVito's so pissed. And we'd had, so we'd been doing this country whipping matches at the time. So one of those belts was out there for something. And I whipped the shit out of Teddy in the stomach. And he bent over and goes, why? And I says, quit being a fucking mark. And I, said, and I swung it over the back of his back so he could go down and sell that. And then he's laying there for a while. And uh, I think we gave him a guardrail, which is where he says he got a concussion, but he didn't. Um, we go to the back and you hear, boom, DeVito's in front of me. And I'm telling the people at Gorilla what just happened, what a piece of shit this guy is. 
DeVito runs by me going, he's still flipping. He's still fucking flipping. And he runs because he did it again. So we got out there, and I run, I'm running behind DeVito, not knowing what I'm going to do yet, if we're going to go out here and physically harm this kid in front of people or if I'm going to defuse the situation or blah, 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 blah. Luckily, DeVito's a big, fat bastard, and he got blown up by the time he got there. So I just <laughs> put my hand on his shoulder and he goes, oh, get him, Loke. So I go in there, and there's a bunch of people now. And there's and uh, however this went down, somehow there's a bunch of people there. And I'm like, you motherfucker, get your ass in the back. And, and um, he did, and by then we'd thrown it, taken his uh, bag and thrown it out of the locker room. He wasn't allowed in our dressing room that night. Um, he tried to come in. And I said, you fucking little, I called him, you little rock star, want to be whatever, you think you're more important than everything, blah, 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 you're a piece of shit. And DeVito says, your Uncle Owen would be rolling over in his grave if you knew you did oh, that. I knew yeah, Owen. Yeah. My eyes like, holy shit, you're bringing up the guy's dead uncle or whatever, you know what I mean? But it was just, we didn't let him in our locker room that night. And eventually he came back and everything gets moved over. And, and I've heard him tell that story in shoot interviews. And he tells it different every time and not yet once has it yeah. been truth of he was just being a glory hog and ruin somebody else's money that's not that's not being one of the boys we talked about that earlier you know are you gonna take care of the boys are you one of us or no you're clearly in this for yourself because that was those guys moment to shine winning this yeah. big match which I presume was probably the last match of the scramble cage they just won the main event you're trying to take that from them that's yeah. never gonna be me ever you what know what was he thinking it's just well, how did he not how did he not realize he was going to get in massive trouble doing this <laughs> i i think that maybe my only answer to that would be is that he must somehow justify in his brain that he's so talented and so good and what he's about to show these people is going to um is going to be greater than any heat he might receive for doing it so he'll get a pass for it he didn't i can remember him in the back going i was knocked out i didn't know i was even flipping i was knocked out you fucking piece of shit but um you know, whatever, you know, and then I think, you know, whatever, I, I thought in recent years, uh, maybe he's grown up, I was supposed to work with him a year or two ago, and I looked forward to that, and I thought it'd be fun, you know, and maybe laugh about that, and then shortly thereafter, he, whatever, he got arrested for whatever drugs, but also hitting his girlfriend and whatever bullshit like that, so fuck that guy, to me, I I'd still get hot about that night when I think about it now, honestly, it's so unprofessional. But. I can imagine, man, and the common denominator in the whole thing with him and everything that's gone wrong for him is him. That's the common denominator. It's so it seems like whenever I listen to an interview of his, it was because of this reason or that reason or this guy or that guy, bro. You can't mess up that many great opportunities that you've had. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about 2005. Your run at Ring of Honor comes to an end. Why is that? Family stuff. It was it was okay. kind of like self. It was um, you know, trying to save the marriage, trying to be a better dad. You know, I mean, I can't. And uh, you know, sometimes wrestlers and even wrestling fans, uh, not that they want their coworkers or their people that they're fans of to be pieces of shit but they want to hear that wrestling's everything and blah, 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 blah. And wrestling is everything except for my kids, you know, and now, you know, except for, you know, my, my elderly father and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I put them on the back burner too long. I'd lost a family, um, not a family, but a family unit, you know, uh, yeah. their mother and I, you know, we take, well, whenever she's in town, we take our kids out to all dinner. We have Christmas together. It's, 
fantastic. I, I mean, I'm certainly the luckiest divorce man there's ever been, as ever. But it was terrible for a few years. Yeah, and it was um, as much my fault as hers, if not more. It was my fault first, put it that way. And uh, well, I just kicked my tri tripod. Um, and uh, that was a lot of that was, well, I'm on the road and this is my life. And after the show, there's always a strip club and there's always a female fan who really appreciates your work. And there's always those, hey, I, uh, those Ric Flair moments. I got paid 300 bucks tonight, but I had a bar tab of 400 because I bought for the crowd. As much fun as that shit is. And I still like doing that part of it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I, uh, you, uh, you had a family at home, you know, yeah. and if your only justification for being away from them is that you're out making money, well, you blew that right there yeah. and you're not, and you know, just the whole lifestyle of being gone and, 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 um, and, uh, and kind of being a little bit too full of my own shit, certainly not from a wrestling aspect as far as how it would affect my work or how I was seen by my peers and my coworkers and stuff like that. But as far as, my home life, I was a wrestler 24 seven. And I believe you have to be, you have to be a wrestler every day. That has to be part of your life. You have to, you have to say, if you're someone that's prone to have a bit of a belly, you have to say, I'd like to go out with tab pizza, but I want to be a wrestler, you know, and it's gotta be, I got, well, I can't skip the gym no matter how cold it is. Cause I, I gotta be a wrestler and yeah. I'm, you know, I got to wrestle this weekend. I need to tan. I don't, I can't slack, whatever. You have to be a wrestler every day, but you can't, well, that can't supersede being a dad every day, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I needed, I needed to do that. And then I spent after Ring of Honor, you know, not that I want to speed through the rest of whatever questions you might have, but that turned into very much of a um, wrestle 20 times a year. Okay. Well, maybe we'll wrestle 10 times a year. Some years wrestle five times, you mm -hmm. know, seriously, just to sometimes I've had a couple of years. I can remember where I wrestled five or six times in those years and on purpose didn't go to my stomping grounds. Where, like in Rochester, where I know everybody just do these little indie shows. There's shindies as we call them. You know what I mean? Where uh, shitty indies where, you mm -hmm. know, there's going to be 40 people in the crowd, but it just, I just got to be around it. Cause I love it so much. And you got to right. see it. Yeah. It's because I, uh, didn't want to be um i didn't want that to take over i didn't want to i couldn't stand that i couldn't stand um knowing that this was my weekend to have my kids but i had to i had to purposely say no because i've got to wrestle you know what i mean yeah. so uh and once in a while i would have to do that because i needed to keep, keep my toe in that wrestling water for I don't know, a couple, three years, however many years it was in there when I wasn't yeah. trying to be an active independent wrestler so much. I've never stepped away away, but I backed off so much that I own pretty much had. And that was where I was until um, basically maybe three years ago. Um, what is it now? It's 2021. It's three years ago or four years ago. My youngest kid graduated high school and now it's like, and there's still time for, I'm still, I mean, especially in this day and age when Dustin Rhodes is 50, you know, Chris, yeah. Christopher Daniels is 50 ish. You know what I mean? AJ Styles is a couple years younger than me, but you know, he's, you know, he's AJ Styles, but whatever. 
but you know, and I still have friends and still, you know, whatever. And I've, and I've been able to train guys the whole time and always help mentor and do those things. Now, can I still get it back out there and do it myself on as close to a full-time um, basis as possible? And I, and I've been able to do that. Of course, last year screwed it for everybody, but when you get in these, uh, well, uh, maybe I can, who knows? There's, there's that NWA for a while and, and AW and there's so many places. Yeah could go and where there's guys that are my peers and in my age group that you can do it's it becomes exciting all over again as opposed to monday night war days when they're talking about you know uh hulk hogan being a dinosaur yeah. and i mean and he was, he was like, younger then he was younger then than aj styles is now yeah i mean exactly. can you believe that you know yeah. <laughs> but, but <laughs> so that's that's one one good change we've had for sure in the business absolutely man um and yeah it must be so difficult you know when you're away from home so much and when you don't we're not spending time with your partner quite often there's that disconnect and when you're getting back from being off the road and there's this you know adrenaline rush every night and you know having fun all the time and then you got to come home and you got to be dad you got to be husband I can totally see how that disconnect can happen because, you know, she's at home doing what she's got to do for the family and you're off work and your ass off, but also you two aren't connecting because you're not together uh, yeah. more than enough. So that must be really tough. Yeah, it, it, it was. And, I, and I'm, I'm so blessed now. I have uh, my girlfriend now who lives 15 feet outside this window we're here right now. Little tip, if you ever have the means or the opportunity, I, uh, the house next door to me came up to for sale, uh, uh, at a very cheap rate. And I happened to be a contractor. So I bought it, fixed it up, was going to sell it or rent it out. But I moved my girlfriend in there. That's the happiest anybody could ever possibly be. She's right there. I can see her through her window, but I'm home and she is home. And we have that together as much as we need to be in. And, but the, so, you know, you'd have that never get on anybody's nerves, but the, the, the reason why I'm so blessed is because you know, she believes in me. So, and not that my ex-wife didn't, God bless her. I wasn't, I didn't keep up my end of the bargain, yeah. but, um, but, but my girlfriend these days, she believes in me so much. She makes sure I have merch when she can, she'll come and she'll be the one that sells my merch and that's cool. And beyond my ass to be like, did you do your workout today? You know, stuff like that. And, uh, what do you want to have for supper tonight, honey? I was kind of thinking about having pizza. We had pizza on Sunday and you got to wait seven days to your next cheat meal. Like yeah. you're right. Have to do that you know and she you know so so i'm very blessed right now she's she's uh she's uh she's uh she's good to me very good yeah I'm so i mean but that, that, that was and my ex-wife was too for a while for a while she wasn't but i had it coming by that point um but there was that that whole i'm on a light road and i'm living this life that you want to live and you know, mm. it was, was kind of like a rock star like well it can be you know and uh, guys my age break the new guys wall not new some of these are 15 16 18 year veterans but guys my age will boss the today's generation falls a little bit because they don't go to the strip club afterwards what do they do they go play video games in the hotel yeah. right and as much as it that's so different and i might think oh man we had so much fun none of those guys are going to go home to what to an empty house this weekend none of them you know none of them are going to have marital troubles based solely on that you know yeah. and uh, i mean they might for other reasons just for being gone but they're out there um, leaving a, leading a healthier, more responsible lifestyle that is more conducive to them being a good husband and father when they get home. So, so um, 
ball busting aside, because, you know, I'm of the opinion that video games are pretty lame. I've, uh, <laughs> being a good dad and a good husband is anything but lame. So I, I kudos to this generation of guys for and women for um, for uh, for the lifestyles they, they have on the road these days compared to what we did. And I mean, my first my first weekend on the road ever where I actually somebody paid for a hotel room and I got to stay two nights and wrestle two nights or something like that or stay one night and wrestle two or something. Um, there was a bar in the hotel and I, and I was shy and I was good. And so one of the guys came by and said, you got to come down to the hotel. Go, oh man, I'm going to, you got to come down and drink with the boys, man. You're going to get heat. You got to come down and drink with the boys. And I'm not, and that's really how it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's even, you got to be sociable, you know what I mean? For still, but you know, if you can socialize by, you know, coming home with all your money and not being a strip club and being a better husband <laughs> and being a better dad, not having that then God bless you, man. I would, I wish that's how we did things in my day in comparison, but. I understand, bro. 100% I understand. Uh, so uh, this was an interesting thing that I saw uh, in my research. Uh, it's July 10, 2010. It's acid fest. We've, we've talked about train acid before, but the carnage crew reformed after many years of not being wow. together. Um, how was that night and, and the tribute to Trent? It was awesome. I mean, it was super emotional because um, we all love Trent so much. But um, we, um, uh, you know, DeVito and I teamed, and I, Nick Gage and somebody else was his partner. And I know that the hit squad was in there and maybe another team too. Yeah. I don't know in our men. But, um, but it was a lot of fun. And I uh, remember um, getting done and somebody got the three count. We're going, doing our a war like we always did, especially with the hit squad. You know, I always love working with Dan Moff. Like next weekend, I got to work with Monsterback, his old partner. Yeah. Um, but um, we uh, uh, we got done with the match. Somebody got the three count. And I slide in from one side all hot because we lost. And Danny Moff slides in the other side all hot because he lost. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but we looked up at, at each other, caught each other's eye. I smile a little bit. He smiles back. And we just hug and point to the sky for Trent, you know, and that's, that's, that's like something you write, but we didn't, you know yeah, what I mean? It was right, just, cool. it was a real, they we're our friends, our brothers, and we're here because we lost one of us. And that was a great day. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun, real good time. That's cool, man. Uh, and for those playing at home, that four way featured the uh, SAT of Joel and Jose Maximo, the Carnage Crew, the Hate Club of Nate Hatred and Nick Gage and Da Hit Squad with Mafia and Monster Mac. Cool. I'm going to cool. seek that uh, show out. Surely I can find that for a download online somewhere. Seems like it ought to be out there somewhere. Yeah, it has to be. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's 2010. Um, you, 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 you've told, you've already alluded to how it was about four years ago you finally started coming back and, and working more often now that your kids are of an age where, you know, you can now go and do that stuff. Um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, what else you hope to achieve in the wrestling business as an in-ring worker before we start talking a bit more about your training school. Um, as an in-ring guy, I just, I guess, I want to stay busy for as long as I can. I'd like to, uh, um, I'd like to, I'd like to wrestle as long as I can. And I have no, no, um, I have no end date in mind. Like I could seriously, I could say, 
I, I'm not going to do this. I have no desire to, but I could see I'm certainly at an age where you could retire now, but I could also still see me doing it when I'm 70 or as long as I can. I don't, mm. I don't know why I wouldn't, honestly, you know, as long as I physically can. Um, injuries will be a thing as I get older, even though I've spent the last couple of years of my life, COVID hit us all last year so, so hard that my gym regimen, just like everybody else's, kind of waned. So there's, there's a little bit of an adjustment getting back to where I was there. But spending most of the last few years is big and strong and in the best shape I've been in my career. Even at that, um, I suffered a couple big injuries, um, tore my hamstring, and that was purely because I was poor training habits. Um, I was, you know, I, I love the sport of bodybuilding. I uh, could never compete in it. I don't, I'm not, I'm not good enough at it. And I don't have those kind of genetics, but, but I, um, I foolishly made my quadriceps much stronger than my hamstrings. And my theory just being, I don't care. I wrestle in long, long tights, long shorts. You know what I mean? It's all about, excuse me, how I look for wrestling, not for a, for a bodybuilding stage. So I hadn't even thought about that. So at some point that muscle, the front one was so much stronger than the back one that I just tore, you know, so that was, that was quite an adjustment. And then I broke my neck. Oh, fuck, I broke my neck in, uh, in training, taking a DDT from a student of mine. And, um, he kind of just gave it to me kind of on the wrong side a little bit. And I was super zealous to, to make him, uh, to put him over. You know what I mean? I got a couple of, I always have, everybody does a couple of, couple of guys in my class that, there's my guys that are there and they're good soldiers. There's my guys that look at like they're going to be stars someday. And once in a while you get a guy or two around who's like your buddy, you know what I mean? And they, they, they're, they're not very big and they're not very good, but they try as hard as they can and they love it so much and they pay their money and all those things. And, and I want to, so I, I a lot of times will on a show wear a mask and wrestle my okay. guys like that. So they can yeah. at least be out there and do that. So um, I did a little thing where I wrestled. It was in practice because we were getting ready to do it on a show and I needed to, where I, I, uh, I wrestled a guy, actually has autism. I have an autistic student who's, uh, who's um, you know, coming along. He's never going to be in the WWE or anything like that, but he loves it so much. And his parent, and I've had the talk with his parents and, and they're, um, uh, and they're uh, all about him having this outlet and they're aware of the dangers and all those things. So, so I, uh, I wrestle him on some shows where I wear a mask and so he can win and stuff like that. And we were getting ready for that at a show at a, at a, at a practice and he'd give me a big spear and I take a huge bump for him. And uh, my other students, the people in the building, they cheer for him and he has this great moment and um, he pins me. And then I grab the referee, who's the guy I alluded to earlier, who I was <laughs> trying to give my, um, my extreme official, official thing to. And we did a little spot where I turn around and, He's going to DDT me. Now he kind of hooks me from the opposite side than, than is customary, although it works both ways. And um, just me, I'm so amped up. And he kind of wrenched me just a little bit more than you should. And I, you know, and still the veteran can make a, mis make a mistake. I'm so pumped up because the few people in this building are cheering this kid, this autistic kid. And I want to do it for this guy too. So I tried to do the Rob Van Dam bump. Oh like, gosh, okay. And like, so, and I mean, I was fine in a few weeks, but it, like it was legit, like it was a broken neck. I got the x-rays and all those things and I scared the shit out of you. So if I can avoid stuff like that, I, I, I'd like to just keep busy, keep keep working. I like to, I like to be the guy in the locker room that um, 
you can always count on for a good match that everybody else can um, say, uh, you know, unless there's somebody else, another veteran in the locker room. So I don't want to say everybody else, but you know what I mean? Most everybody else in the, in the locker room can rely on to have a good match with, or say, will you watch my match? Can you help? I love that. You know, can you watch my match? Tell me what I should do better or what I did right or what I did wrong. I, I it, but as far as like big lofty goals that I don't think are too, too far out there, I would like to, um, to get, uh, get a shot at just even for a match or two, be seen nationally again somewhere, um, right before the pandemic, uh, hit, um, I was so busy last April is when um, WrestleMania was going to be. And I had 14 matches scheduled for that month and they were all really cool and in different areas. And some in Tampa where I was going to team with DeVito in Tampa again, oh, you know, wow. a bunch of shit like that. So we'll hopefully get back to that. But um, there was talk then of, it was just tipped my tongue. I don't remember what it was, but of, um, of at any rate, there's, there's so many of these opportunities like, um, like, uh, Billy Corgan's NWA, which is kind of in a state of flux right now, but at the time it was doing some good stuff. And AEW was coming up. And of course, there's MLW, and I know what I was going to say. Around that time, this time last year, uh, Ring of Honor was getting ready to, ready to do a show they called Past and Present, oh, where right. they're bring in. They were going to have a bunch of guys, Ring of Honor originals, come in and, and wrestle the new crop of guys. Wow. And I was trying to get my nose, I was getting my nose stuck into that a little bit, you know, and that you know all went away. So if I could be get a match or, and of course if they want me on top for 10 years man you know that'd be great but if i get a match or two uh, at least in a ring of honor on AEW, which i think is not at all out of the realm of possibility I, there's some avenues there for me and you know something like that and, and certainly if once if and when the nwa gets rolled again like it was every week um if i can get in there a little bit and be seen just for me yeah, I'd be happy with that. And then I just wrestle my indies if that's all they wanted out of me. But the big thing is then to parlay that into agenting, agenting or something or, or producing for one of those, one of those companies. There's a place I work for now called Catalyst Wrestling that used to be called Capital Wrestling. They had to change their name, but that's, that's got some real cool uh, streaming. Uh, their show streams on a bunch of different platforms as well as has TV in a lot of different markets. And, and I wrestle there and I agent there. And just recently I started doing some guest commentary there. So that's something else. You know what I mean? So as far as my in front of the camera goes, um, as far as big goals, I'd like to be seen nationally in one of the companies at least one more time. And I'd like that to work into a job, you know, where I can be helpful backstage uh, or, if that can, or, or if I talk on camera, that's fine. That'd be great too. Um, but kind of with the intent then, depending on how, if that goal comes true, and I've always been pretty good or pretty lucky, whichever you want to call it, at one way or another, setting these goals and getting them to happen, you know, um, if I can do that, and then I'd still like to remain as busy as I can on the independence as long as I can, like Lawler or, or El Snow or these guys, you know, they just... I think more Lawler than El Snow, El Snow these days. They just keep going. You know, they just yeah. love it. They want to do it. I want to spend Saturday in a car with some like-minded individuals, with some buddies of mine, you know, going to a show and having a match and having a fun, so much fun, seeing the fans, and then 
bitching about our shitty payoffs and all much that ring sucked or how <laughs> God damn it, they didn't advertise for that show, but aren't we so goddamn lucky? I tell that to people all the time. On your worst day as a wrestler, my match sucked. The guy at work sucked. That promoter didn't have the money he said he was going to have. The ring broke. You're going to hear those stories uh, about every wrestler that's ever wrestled 100 times each. Yeah. But if you just once in a while, um, just take a breath and say, fuck, man, I, I was just wrestling. I just, I was I'm a professional wrestler. I was just on a wrestling show. Everybody else came to watch a wrestling show. I got to be a wrestler. I could be home digging ditches. I could be home painting a wall. You yeah. know, but I was, I was wrestling. So you do that in front of literally 12 people, which happens during a pandemic sometimes because they have crowd limitations here. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're allowed to run at all, some places, like I've been places where like, yeah, we're only allowed to put 15 tickets on sale. It's better than not wrestling, right? To me, yeah. it's, it's, an, it's, it's, kind of, it's an addiction to that degree, you know? And you get to say, God, I'm pretty blessed that I've gotten to do it, you know? And uh, so, so wrestling career-wise, the quick answer is, and I'm not going to quick answers, as you know now, we're probably an hour <laughs> nine interview. My, all my long, answers are long-winded. It's just to keep going. I would like that one big break again, but even if it doesn't happen, just keep going, you know, and lend whatever experience I have, the stories I've got to tell to be helpful and entertaining and encouraging to the next generation so that then when they get to those platforms, even if they don't even say it publicly, if in behind closed doors, they say, you know, Logue helped me get here. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, I don't have, and, if, and if some do some other day, that's great. You know, means a lot to me. Yeah, man, that's awesome, bro. Um, and at this time, I want you to have the opportunity to plug anything that you want to plug, uh, where to find you on social media, talk to us about your training school, Everyone out there wants to know what's going on with HC Loke. Tell them right now. Cool, man. Yeah, well, the wrestling school itself is, um, it's, uh, I, I've uh, got a, a building being constructed on my property right now. Um, I'm actually a uh, contractor, as I mentioned, but I ordered like a prefab thing to be assembled here to, yeah. uh, to be a gym to house all my, uh, my gym equipment and my ring. And we're going to set it up with lights and cameras and all that stuff so that we can film oh, promos wow. matches and stuff like that um again the the covid kind of hit my school hard because we were in uh we were we were working out of a place that was a public building and then we got shut out of there so all last summer my ring was in my lawn you know and guys would come to which is fine that doesn't work in the winter but it, but it's okay because there's another place uh um there's a couple other places within an hour and a half driving you drive an hour and a half either direction on the highway from my house. There's a there's a wrestling ring, and right. with guys I I know in each of them. So I'll go there and I'll um, or I'll send my students there. You know we have a good relationship with all of them. I don't believe there's so much in American independent wrestling. There's so much bullshit of these guys think they're they're uh, Bischoff versus McMahon, and they think that oh if you work for that guy you can't work here. I don't play any of that shit. None of that. If if you're a professional and gentleman and and uh, and uh, one of the boys and a friend to me, I, I'll work for you. I'll work with you, and my my students will as well. And there's a couple of wrestling schools, like I said, not too far away from here. And I don't think they necessarily get along with each other, but they all get along with me. And my guys are welcome at both, so we do that. I'll send my guys there just so they can get in the ring. I'll go up there and um, teach a class to my what I quote unquote my guys and their guys as well. And um, that's kind of how we've been floating while the snow's on the ground. Um, 
by uh, by uh, the first of April, my building's supposed to be done here. And um, this is the first time I said this publicly, but we've uh, we've decided, my girlfriend and I actually, and uh, uh, we've decided to uh, give it a name rather than just hey, it's Lowe School. It, uh, it's going to be uh, we've got the logos and the banners made. It's going to be the Fighting Arts Pro Wrestling Institute. I've always loved that Fighting Arts is a way. And uh, and then what we're going to do. Uh, eventually we'll do the little tapings out of there. I don't anticipate, I don't rule it out. I don't anticipate when the world gets back to normal, me promoting shows so much, um, but it that might happen in the future. Um, but we'll do a little, uh, we'll do a little taping so we can YouTube up basically our own television show. And I want to, that's good for me to, uh, to uh, get my chops up at writing and stuff like that. It's good for my guys to learn promo skills and, learn to work a camera and things like that. Um, so that will be called Fighting Arts Pro Wrestling. Um, that'll be coming in 2021 as all these things uh, progress. Um, but um, as far as getting a hold of me about training, about booking, about asking a question about wrestling, I got asking a question about, well, shit in my pants and in New Orleans, uh, in ECW, um, <laughs> if you search obviously the Smoke on, uh, on Facebook, but you'll find me under my shoot name, Matt Knowles, and it'll come up the guy that looks like me. So that's me or uh, or uh, Instagram or Twitter. If you uh, search HC Loke one, please. I'm new to this Twitter game. I got to that's you talk about. I never feel a generation yet that much in wrestling. Except for that. There's guys. I, I don't know who they are. They've got thousands and thousands of followers. They do great because that. I saw an interview with Cody Rhodes. Somebody asked him, what do you look for in a guy to bring to AEW? And he says, among other things, you know, their activity on Twitter. That's exactly what he said. I'm like, I've got two followers on Twitter. Not really, but not, you know, I don't know that world at all. You know, I'm just learning that. So I don't, so you go to my page and you see a few hundred or whatever followers because I'm new to it. I don't know how to get that word out. So if anybody sees them or just even wants to give me a, a, mercy, a mercy follow, just so, you know, I get those numbers up and, and do my thing. I, if I post something wrestling related, especially on Facebook, you check the next day and there's 200 likes and however many shares. And I'm like, cool. I copy and paste it, post the same thing on Twitter. And there's three, yeah. you know, three, because <laughs> I'm not in that type of thing. I'm learning over there. So, um, at HC Loke one on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm sure if you search HC Loke, you'll find it on, uh, on Facebook, but it's Matt Knowles is, is my name. Um, K N O W S. Awesome, bro. And everyone, right down there, we're, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, we're going to have all those links there for anyone to click on. If you want to follow HC Logue on Twitter and find him on Facebook, you're going to be right there in the description. Uh, so please do, guys, um, and keep up to date with what's going on with him. And uh, so I do hope that you get the opportunity to work somewhere like the NWA. I hope maybe if, I don't know if, if what's going on with Tommy, if House of Hardcore is still a thing, but that will be pretty cool too. That would be great too, something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I really hope those things work out for you, my friend. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, so before I sail off into the sunset with you here tonight, HC Loke, uh, we have our final segment of the show. It's Five Second Frenzy. Five seconds to answer each question. I know with wrestlers, it takes longer than five seconds. So even if uh, you take too long, it's okay. You won't get in trouble. <laughs> uh, so if I don't have it, I'll make something up. 
Excellent, bro. Five second frenzy. Hey, C Loke, number one question your favorite wrestler of all time? Favorite wrestler of all time changes all the time, but I got five seconds, so I'm going to say Shawn Michaels. Excellent, excellent answer. Uh, your favorite opponent you've ever had? Favorite opponent I've ever had? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I have no clue on that one. My favorite opponent, I will say, young guy, you should all uh, look at a guy named Carter Mason out of Canada. He's pretty awesome. I had a pretty good, a lot of, uh, a lot of wars with him in, in last year, maybe year before, I guess it was now. Talented, you're going to see a lot of him, for sure. Awesome. Carter Mason is the name. Yeah. Excellent, bro. Uh, your favorite match that you've ever had? Probably favorite match I ever had might have been myself and uh, Jerry Lynn and this is awful. I don't remember exactly. Somebody else versus um, Just Incredible. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Pete Carino and, and maybe Rhino was in there somehow too. And, uh, and uh, we did a TV and that was a, a main event of a TV and we went all over the this is more than five seconds, but uh, that's that okay. Got to do some cool. Got to do some cool stuff. Yeah. I believe that one was. Let me just find it. I have to. I have to find it now. Uh, it was yeah. The main event of Hardcore TV six man tag. Your second last TV match in ECW. Danny Daniels, Just Incredible, and Rhino defeated HC Loke, Jerry Lynn, and Steve Carino in ten minutes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get on the same team there. I don't remember that. Oh, he switched babyface at some point. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, the nerd in me just needed to make sure that. No, uh, I'm glad you did. <laughs> uh, your favorite book? Favorite book? That changes all the time, too. Um, I would say it's, you'd think it would be, a, be a, uh, a wrestling book. I have so many of them that I love. I just read this one, Teeny, about Christine Jarrett. Uh, Jerry Jarrett's mom, who actually was the matriarch of all that wrestling stuff down there. That was awesome. Um, I, uh, of course, love Tracy's mother's book because I love Tracy so much. And my good friend Kenny Casanova writes a bunch of books lately of uh, Sabu and Brutus Beefcake and, and and a bunch of people like that. But I will say my favorite book um, is called The Dirt by uh, about Molly, Molly Curry, right? I was just going to say that's, that's my favorite book. book. <laughs> really? It was awesome. I've read it three yeah. times. You should see how weathered that book is now. But, uh, it's it, it's called the Bible for a reason in, in rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show is The West Wing. Ah, very favorite. good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, your favorite film? I always say Goodfellas because I've seen it so many times, but uh, <laughs> that holds true. I love that movie still. Yeah. <laughs> Great film, man. Uh, and here's a good one, because I know you, you're big into your music. Your favorite musical artist? Again, this is kind of resting on uh, my history, but I would say Pantera is the most influ influential of my life type of thing. Um, when they finally they hit when I was in when I, when I was in high school, I was like, what happened? Because everything was yeah. either glam metal or the speed thrash <laughs> stuff. And I like both. But this was this power metal as they call themselves with this groovy stuff and that i mean i got to meet phil anselmo and, and rex brown uh actually when i was at doing autograph signing sessions believe it or not there was a place where they'd have movie guys and musicians and wrestlers oh, right yeah and, and i had the vinyl of two of their records and i had them sign it and i don't i've got a few autographs but 
just I, I probably have should have done that more. But like I've got like Dory Funk's autograph here on his wrestling figure, and that's because I wrestled him. Then he gave me that and signed it for me. So I like mementos like that. Yeah, well, not, so I had to get those guys, and I made a point to tell them, you know, they didn't know who the fuck I was. But I said, listen, guys, I just got to let you know, I, I've been writing and recording music for 25 years, and if it wasn't for these records, I probably wouldn't have. So I got a chance to thank them. So, so it would be Pantera, I'm sure. Yeah, man, they totally changed the game as far as heavy metal was concerned. That's for sure. Fucking yeah. love them, man. Fucking love them. Yeah. Uh, your favorite food? Oh, right now I'm dieting, so that's it's a long list. But um, I, you know, I'm pizza and cheeseburger guy, but I love sushi too. And sushi's usually it, sushi's very healthy as long as I don't go nuts on the on the on the rice. But you know, um, just I, I'm pretty simple as far as that stuff. I get a good like. If I'm if I've been dieting all week trying to do wrestling bodybuilding shit and I'm gonna eat I'm either gonna get a whole pizza for myself or two or three of Wendy's double cheeseburgers or something like that. I, <laughs> I love that stuff. That, that's my I'm not a sweet Scott. Like I I mean it tastes good. I I like cake cookies and that tastes good, but I never would ever crave that or I would oh, never yeah. break my diet for that. I don't I don't care that much. But if there's a slice of pizza sitting there or, or a good looking burger, it's gonna be that that's too tempting for me. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I my mouth just watered a little bit there. So uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> big on pizza too, bro. Uh, your favorite place to eat on the road? Waffle House. Where else is there? I love it. You know, I haven't done it. I haven't been in a in a city with them in, in a while. But that's just old school wrestler stuff, though. But but um, always Waffle House. I love I love uh, 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 Bob Evans' breakfast too. You know, they're they're yeah for sure. But Waffle House, that's a go-to restaurant answer, I'm sure. We For get it a lot. <laughs> we get it all. We get pizza a lot as well. Yeah. Um, here's a good one. Your favorite alcoholic beverage? Uh, right now, although I try not to partake that much, but just I like vodka and I like the smear off just the plain stuff like that. And that all came about because of wrestling, because of, you know, whatever little, I don't consider myself a bodybuilder, but because of the bodybuilding I have to do and just, loving that and wanting to look at for wrestling. It doesn't have any carbs. So, you know, and then when I fall off the wagon, as I call it about food, not booze, I'm like, Oh, you know, pandemic hit and not training for shit. We're eating like shit. So then I drink my zero carb vodka with chicken Alfredo or something. So it kind of <laughs> defeats the purpose. But, but, but I, I, I love, I love vodka or, or except for if you're out having a meal and, um, yeah, maybe you're having a burger in a bar or pub or something like that, a restaurant, and they get that frosted draft beer, not out of the yeah. bottle, not even the draft with the whole thing, and you're eating that with a piece of beef. Holy cow. Yeah, that might have to be tonight's supper. That sounds good. It sounds <laughs> but, fantastic to me, bro. Yeah. Right, I might be doing that tomorrow when uh, <laughs> a, a normal part of the day. Um, is one of my favorite ones in 10, uh, sorry, five second frenzy, your favorite female body part. Favorite female body part. That has changed over the years a lot. Due to the, my lovely girlfriend, it has switched to the butt. I will tell you what. This girl, every, it's, that's the running joke. I mean, like all these ads on Facebook for coffee cups that compliment your girlfriend's butt. She's got like eight or ten of them over there. So every time I see, I see one, I have to buy them for her. But uh, yeah, I, I like, but if I'm, but beyond that, to be honest, and you know, not to get all corny, but, but a girl's eyes, of course. I mean, like, yeah. there's some of them that just melt you before you even 
um, you know, before they even say a word, you know, she's got pretty eyes or something like that. Plus she's got tattoos and they're cool tattoos and she can have ugly eyes, no butt, and not even be nice to me. And I'll probably buy her a car or something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, HC Loke, the last one here for five second frenzy, your favorite curse word. Fave, fuck, I don't know what I curse words. Um, yeah, I guess, <laughs> fuck, it, it, it comes out when I, when it doesn't even supposed to. Like, it's not, I wouldn't even, like, in the middle of words, I'm on this pod fucking cast now. You know, it just comes out, I don't even know why. But, yeah. And that, and that's a wrestling thing. I get in the wrestling, like, I'll be talking to a wrestler on the phone or about wrestling or talking to you and my kids or my girlfriend's kids who are even younger will be around or something like that. I'm like, Jesus, every I said 10 words and nine and a half and we're fucked. But, uh, <laughs> That's brilliant, man. No, we get, we get yeah. an answer a lot too on the show. Um, yeah. And it's my favorite curse word too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so HC, like, I really want to thank you for your time being on the show here. I don't know if you realize, but we've just gone over two and a half hours now. So I was not aware of that. What time yes. is it? I have an interview at one o'clock, which is eight minutes ago. Sweet. <laughs> so man I'll, I'll let you go but i i, I want to thank you for your time on the show really appreciate it and hope you're proud of everything that you accomplished in the wrestling business uh because from perth western australia the most isolated city in the world someone here appreciated you and what you did man so I that to- means more than i could ever say honestly and i mean you know and and uh that's a nice thing to say and i'm sure you say it to a lot of your guests but please know that that means the world to me to know that you that you know somebody in australia even remembers or gives a shit or or anything like that so mm-hmm. and um so thanks so very very much for having me and of course when we get farther along if there's any anything i can ever do for you if you want me to send some other guys your way or post links for you you know i i do anything i can for you appreciate you having me Thanks, bro. I really appreciate it too, man. And um, I want to thank you guys all out there for watching here on the WZWA Network podcast. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in theory, and we will see you next time. Thank you.